and welcome back to post game content how you doing max i'm good how are you michael i'm surviving in what the world apparently thinks at least the east coast apparently thinks is the snowpocalypse right now so <laughs> i don't know if you're getting snow where you're at we but, are due to get snow tonight uh, originally it was going to be four to six inches and now we're thinking two inches so we're gotcha. going to die, but it's going to be less severe. Yeah, something I've learned that whether it's like a weatherman, whether it's just like the husband of the house, whether it's just like any just random dude that's like, hey, if they say they're going to give you six inches, it's probably only going to be two. <laughs> like we see everyone in the world does just generally expect that as like I, the gospel. I can't believe I didn't know where that <laughs> sentence was going. <laughs> No, we've actually, we've already gotten about uh, three or four inches of snow and it due to continue for another like six, seven hours of straight downpour here. Yeesh. So I love it. Like <laughs> they already canceled school like at 2 p.m. today before snow even came because they're like, yeah, we just don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. so, so you don't have to do your homework tonight? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but since I work remotely, I had to work anyway. Thanks. Thanks for nothing. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we're not here to talk about my boring life or my problems or my love for snow. We're here to talk about video games. So this is following up a uh, episode on Metroid Dread, which you know we we absolutely loved and adored. We hope you guys enjoyed listening to it as well. Uh, and this week we got something a little different uh, for you guys. Something still a, a game that Max and I both loved. Before we get into that. Uh, I wanted to ask you a quick question, Max, because I, depending on whenever these podcasts release, obviously, uh, some of this content might be a little dated as far as like our banter pre, <laughs> pre, uh, naturally, this will give you, give some historical context about how we were feeling before these. And then we can make fun of ourselves later if it <laughs> comes to that. So it is January 6th, uh, today, the day of recording is January 6th, 2022. Mm -hmm. We are... Less than two months out from Elden Ring. How you feeling? Whew. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to overstate it, but I've pinned all my hopes and dreams on this game. <laughs> I mean, there's not been a lot to let us down from Miyazaki. There's been nothing, really. Right. I mean, I personally can't beat Sekiro, but, you know, good for you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you, I promise you, Maybe even before Elden Ring is released, you will get a grip on that game. And Tough. if you're listening to this in the future and Michael still hasn't beat Sekiro, then, then that's my bad. <laughs> he placed too much faith in me, ladies and gentlemen. I can tell you that now. In current time, he has placed too much faith in me. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, there's, February is going to be an interesting month for me because two of my favorite or most anticipated games that before we even had release dates that I knew were coming in 2022 are being released seven days from each other. And that really sucks for me because both of these games are ones that I really just want to do nothing else other than play them. And the other is horizon forbidden West. Right. So you have one week to beat that game. <laughs> I honestly, I think I could pull it off. Like, I don't I think, think you that's probably big, could not a big deal. I don't, I might have to like not a hundred percent it, but mm -hmm. I think I could pull it off. Uh, but 100% of the first one, and I just, I have so much love and adoration for that game, but I don't know, maybe I can conv convince you to talk about that one at a later date. 
So <laughs> I'd be willing to give that another shot. I think I've told you before that I have I have picked up Horizon Zero Dawn before and I bounced off of it. Um, and I think maybe I was a little bit strung out on open world games. Um, you and I have talked about this in the past that I think open world games are way, way too prevalent in the mainstream, like, you know, gaming ecosystem right now. And, yeah. you know, I, you've spoken so highly of it. I think I'd definitely be willing to get, give that another run. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think once you get out of like, cause the, the first portion of the game takes place within this like sandbox, the small mm-hmm. sandbox where it's like, everything's kind of the same. And then it opens up and it's like, okay, now have fun. And it's not like the first like hour. It's probably like the first, like, I don't know, four or five hours of the game. So maybe even more than that. So uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about Horizon. Point being, I'm excited for Elden Ring. I'm excited for Horizon. And I think that's what, you know, in the coming months, you know, since we're not releasing these like super often, you at least know what we're doing in the, <laughs> in the meantime. Right, that's, exactly. That's Whatever point what you're listening to this in the future, we're playing Elden Ring. Yeah, yeah. Or I'm at least, bare minimum, adding it to my constant rotation of, of games that I'm playing, such as Dark Souls 3 and Dark Souls 1 and Sekiro, <laughs> probably still, like we just talked about. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so we're not here to, as you guys probably saw from the episode title, we are not here to talk about a game by Miyazaki, even though we both probably could for literally days. Um, On end, yeah. We are here to talk about another game that released in 2021 that was a game of the year contender. So whenever we recorded our last episode, uh, on Metroid Dread, we recorded that in November, and since then the Game Awards have happened, um, and then a lot of people are releasing their game of game of the years, and we're seeing our Halos, and we're seeing our uh, Battlefields, and our Call of Duties, and we saw Metroid Dread win a few awards. Uh, it takes two out of the blue won a one game of the year from the VGA yeah. Awards, which is fantastic. And I've played that game, and it's well deserving. It's very good. If you haven't tried it, highly. Recommend I have not it. tried it yet. No, I would be willing to play that play that with you honestly yeah. because only one person has to buy it and then the other person can it has like a friend code and then you give it to them they log in and can play the game with you because it is That's a kind full of co-op game you can't play it by yourself sure so it's it when that was interesting as to why that one game of the year because that's such a unique thing that games don't really do mm-hmm. um but yeah so hot off those presses you know, we saw Metroid Dread win a ton of awards, and then we move. We saw Resident Evil Village uh, also win a few awards: best action game, uh, some best horror game, um, yeah. and that was one that best we won. Performance? To... Oh, was it best performance too? Yeah, uh, for uh, Lady Demetresque, I believe, which <laughs> well deserved, and we'll get into Mommy Vampire. Yeah, I'm hopefully not in so many ways. I'm like, gonna hold myself back. <laughs> um, <laughs> But no, I mean, so, you know, without further ado, we're going to be talking about Resident Evil Village today. We both had a blast playing this game. At least I did. I've played through. Oh, my God. I've played through this game five times before we decided we were going to run through this. I played through my first playthrough and then I got went achievement hunting and started Mm -hmm. getting everything. The last one I did was Dashing Dad, where I beat it in two hours and 40 minutes. And then my current playthrough um, I ran because I wanted to play it again before we we did the show. I ran through it. I did not beat it, but I got to Heisenberg, and then I rewatched the ending on YouTube. So I'm I was pretty close. Like yeah, it's, it's that's, enough. That's to, close enough. And 
Yeah, I have some feelings about that part of the game as well. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get into that. So anyway, welcome to our Resident Evil Village episode. Well, we might end up in the future. Obviously, we have a big backlog of stuff and we're not releasing stuff. So if you're looking for more Resident Evil episodes after this one, sorry, it might not be for a very long time. It, we're we're going to need like a, a kibosh on Resident <laughs> Evil for a couple of a couple of months at least. Yeah, for sure. So um so uh, yeah, anyway, let's jump into this. So as always, at this point, spoilers. If you have not played Resident Evil Village and you're not interested in hearing what's going to happen, don't listen to this. Also, if you haven't played Resident Evil 7, don't listen to this because the story in this strongly hinges on the contents of Resident Evil 7. So if that's where you're at, you're, you still want to play those and you don't want anything spoiled, pause it, come back to it later after you play the games, which both of them I can highly recommend. Exactly. Uh, especially 7. So. If you are at all interested in these games, if you are new to survival horror, these games are a great jumping in point. Absolutely give them a shot and then come back and listen to it after you finish. For sure. Um. So yeah, so I want to do just like a couple sentence synopsis of seven. So that way, when we're going through the story of this one, because I do want to, I do want to hit the story pretty in depth for, for this or not in depth, but because, and I don't want to, I want to hearken on that too. What to expect from the show is we don't want to just hash the story and then talk about points of the story, things like that. We're here to talk about the game itself, the playability of it, the mechanics of the game, what we really liked about it. Obviously the story is a huge part of that. And a lot of those things are intertwined in the story and vice versa, but that's not the main point. Um, but we like to talk about the story because it drives conversation about the other things that we really want to touch on. Um, so that being said, this Resident Evil 8 follows the story of Ethan Winters after the events of Resident Evil 7, in which he was searching for his wife Mia after he got a cryptic message from her. She was down somewhere in southern the southern part of the United States. Louisiana. There it is, Louisiana, down with, there with our, uh, our friend Corey. Um, <laughs> so he went looking for her after assuming her dead. Uh, long story short, he found her in a house full of these, what well, appeared to be psychotic killers. And there was... I like that you could end the synopsis with, long story short, he found her in a house. <laughs> he did. He found, found her in a, what was almost like a mansion that was full of these weird, psychotic, cannibal freaking disgusting psycho murderer family uh, of like hillbilly people. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously there was something more going on, supernatural people not dying. And it, as it turned out, it was this disease and there was a supernatural aspect with another company that was experimenting on bioweapons. The one of the bioweapons escaped, infected the family who were actually good natured people, the Baker family. And Mia was, they took her in whenever they found her, even though she was part of just there to get the, the experiment back and monitor the family, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, Ethan saves Mia at the end of that game, destroys Evelyn, and that's where the events of eight pick up. The BSAA, Chris Redfield's group, rescued Ethan at the end of that game, took them across the country. I think they're in like Europe or something when eight starts. Yeah. I hang on. I need to Google this. Um, I'm yeah. Europe is actually not across the country <laughs> or sorry, across the, uh, across the <laughs> world. I'm sorry that. <laughs> yeah. I promise I'm not that dumb. I mean, I am that dumb, but I promise I knew that. <laughs> Wait, you needed to Google that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Actually. 
All right, we're both equally dumb. <laughs> uh, so the game kicks off. You are in a, a safe house of sorts with Mia and your daughter, Rose. Mm-hmm. And you put your daughter to bed, and then all of a sudden you're in the kitchen with Mia and you start to, to argue about something in relation to the events of Resident Evil 7, and then bullets start flying through the window, and Mia gets pumped full of lead and just dies in front of you, and Chris Redfield comes in and knocks you out, and then you just wake up in the middle of a a snowy, dark forest, not having any idea what happened. So, (laughs) right away, this game, like, really... I had a feeling they wanted more of an emotional pull. But I didn't feel like I got enough of Mia in in seven to really give a shit. <laughs> I think that's absolutely fair. <laughs> Mia is so undercharacterized, and in seven, um, for those who haven't played that game, uh, Mia is infected with you know this this crazy mold that makes people a little bit psychotic and evil. And you get maybe two minutes with her before that takes over and she becomes as much of an antagonist as the Baker family. It's not really clear why Ethan is working so hard to save her when she's constantly, you know, impaling his limbs or chopping them off or whatever. Um, And really the best explanation that I can find for it is that Ethan Winters is the dumbest man alive. It makes him incredibly endearing, but he's a dumb, dumb dude. Yeah, and all that's coming off the tail of her being gone for like two years and him having, you know, potentially emotionally moved on or at least starting to heal maybe. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It just seems like, you know, if you're you're coming at me with an axe, you know, I didn't have any remorse about shooting her in the face at that part. Like, I was fine with it. Like, yeah. So I, I just don't, I, and I didn't really get into the DLCs either and then I don't think there was a lot of Mia portions of the DLC. It was really focused on the Baker family, uh, Lucas, Jack, mm. Jack's brother, like all that, uh, Zoe, all the extended that family stuff. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So like there really just wasn't enough for me to care whenever this happened. I was like, Oh, like I feel bad for him. They got the daughter now, but I think they were using the daughter as a linchpin for you to really want everything to be okay and really care about what this happened to Mia. It was a shock for sure, but I don't, I just don't think I cared that much. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So you wake up in a field or not a field, like in a, a little opening in the forest and mm-hmm. it's dark. You find a phone and you find tracks and you just kind of, kind of go. And I do like how they, they booted this off. Like this is where the game actually starts for your play, your play time other than roaming to the house. Um, there are, in classic Resident Evil fashion, and this is why I like this next iteration of Capcom, because even in seven, obviously they like they do that thing where it's like one, two, and three were the same, four, five, and six were very much the same, and now seven, eight, and nine are very much the same. Capcom's very good at grouping, trying new things, evolving, not necessarily for the better in some ways, but they break their games up and evolve in like segments. So and that's that, a really good point that I'd never considered grouping the games like that where you're right. One, two and three are, are so rooted in the early like PlayStation days with tank controls and fixed camera uh, angles and things like that. 
four, five, and six evolved that to being over the shoulder cameras, um, which was really popular at the time that those came out in 2004, 2005. Um, and, and now they're really staying current by transitioning to a first person perspective. Um, and taking a lot of cues from other horror franchises and doing it really well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that was part of what I, what I meant by they're, they're adapting the games well, because what I like about it is the story in resident evil. It's a lot like a, um, I don't know. It's a lot like in real life. Uh, there's a lot of cues in the subtlety. So the books that you'll find laying around, the pictures hanging on the wall, the things like that, they not only will tie it together with the earlier franchises, i.e. the, you know, the photo of like the Arclay Mountains and the Baker Mansion and the, the mm. subtle hints of like Umbrella and Resident Evil Village is no different. So as you start to move through the little subtleties and, you know, the documents you'll pick up, the things you'll find on the wall, the symbols that'll be in random places, i.e. like the umbrella symbol that's on the altar, you know, just things like that. All of that stuff are even predating the games that we're seeing because this village is so old. So this is all pre-Resident Evil 1, you know, even right. Veronica. So I really enjoyed that about Village. And it starts literally as early as the first part of the game when you're still in the house before Mia gets shot up. So like the documents on the computer, things like that. There's just so much of it. So anyway, you run through the snow, the snow woods you start to see these creatures that are just running through you finally get to like a village and then shit just starts going it's it's very reminiscent of resident evil 4 when leon finally gets into the village and he's like what the fuck is happening and there's just shit everywhere and you just have to like survive so all of a sudden it's just werewolves it's werewolves from here on out man it it, yeah like like the lichen capital of the world and that's and that was one of the things that like people were so leery about going into this game because mm-hmm. all the marketing for this game, everyone in the back of everyone's head was, Oh my God, why is Chris Redfield a werewolf? Like the whole time. I mean, that's what everyone is thinking. Cause the cover literally I, has half of his face werewolf, like half of his face, Chris Redfield. I 100% assumed for a couple of different reasons. One, there's a guy in a trench coat who actually is a werewolf and you know, Chris Redfield wears a trench coat throughout the whole thing. It's not hard to draw that line. Two, Chris Redfield in this game is absurdly jacked for no reason, and it's never addressed. Oh, yeah. I mean, and this is coming off the Not a Hero DOC where he looks like Edward Norton in The Hulk. Like, <laughs> he looks so different between those two times. It was like, they're like, you're too skinny, bulk up. Also, yeah. quit being a child. <laughs> I guess I could yeah. say lack of better <laughs> terminology. Um, but he did the Christian Bale Batman thing. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting. So it was, I kind of got whiplash because going into this, there was this, I had a lot of X. Ex- I mean, that's what they do. That's what marketing does. You know, they want you to, to have those assumptions. So you're curious, but honestly, the marketing for this game was, and we'll get into that a little bit more, especially when it gets to Lady Dimitrescu. There's a you get a lot of whiplash from the marketing and the expectations from this game. Um, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, so yeah, so you're you go through the village, you meet uh, uh some people that take you in as you're getting chased by the werewolves into like this little safe house. Uh, they get mad at you them taking you in, 
and it starts a fight, and then one of them is infected. They turn into a werewolf, and people start dying, and it's just the whole place catches on fire, and Ethan barely escapes back into werewolf territory. And can I just say, I loved that scene with uh, the amount of people when the, when they take you into the safe house. I thought that was such a good bit of world building. Um, it was. Where you really get a sense of, you know, these different villagers and the relationships that they have with one another. Some are more antagonistic than others. And these characters are on screen for maybe, what, like five minutes? It's if not that, long. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in that time, they show you, you know, the values of the vi- village um, when everybody's freaked out and, you know, kind of looking for comfort. Everybody gets around a table and prays. Um, they also show you where the werewolves are coming from. Turns out they're, you know, people who would have thought. <laughs> um, and you get to walk through one of the houses while it's intact, which gives, gives it a real sense of place. Um, one of the things I really loved about the Baker mansion in Resident Evil 7 is that it felt like an actual lived-in, you know, uh, building. And yeah, sure. that level of detail is definitely carried over into Resident Evil 8. Yeah, and it makes it, it makes it, scarier even in like the main village in resident evil 8 where the other houses and things like that are it's broad daylight like you're not there at nighttime and it still has that sense of like oh my god like anything could be around the corner like for sure so it's it does a very good job like you said of, of building that atmosphere and creating a sense of realism really i mean and the more real something feels it's going to be that means it can just be used all the more to <laughs> to get you so absolutely um yeah i agree i hadn't thought about that that's a that's a really good point and um so once that all starts to devolve um there's an infection there's a girl there that you start to think that ethan is developing a relationship not like a romantic relationship but like a a friendship she could like rely on her to you know find out what's going on and then her dad gets infected and then it that becomes her downfall and Ethan like barely escapes back in the open and all by himself as literally everyone else is dead. Like, yep. So now Ethan once again is alone with all the questions in the world. Um, and the only thing he knows now is that he is alone. He didn't know that before. And now he just knows he's alone. And the only person in the village is the creepy, uh, witch doctor lady that just happens to, you know, pop up and, they with some weird things that you know surprise that's not a good person so uh, turns out all the ladies spewing all the cryptic bullshit yeah not uh <laughs> not a reliable source of information yeah see see that goes that can go either way though because it's like if it's scooby-doo that ends up being the person that saves everyone if it's resident <laughs> evil that turns out to be the person that's ultimately the bad guy Shock well there's no character in this alert. game that goes rut row so yeah <laughs> <laughs> that we know of there might might be some easter eggs true dlc is forthcoming <laughs> um yeah so you start to do some roaming around and then you get uh you get captured by this <laughs> horribly acted dude with oh, some glasses okay 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 <laughs> Go for I it, want to Max. talk about Heisenberg for a thousand years. That's that's fine. Let's do it. I'm, everyone, uh, everyone does. Let's just do it. Because 
You're absolutely right. The choices that he makes are insane. It is impossible to figure out. Um, Heisenberg is one of the main antagonists. Uh, he's the one of the last bosses you'll fight. Um, and he is effectively just a dude in a coat uh, who smokes a cigar and is so perfect for a Capcom character for being so completely over the top and ridiculous with every line that he says. And I had no idea whether or not that was an intentional choice or they literally just grabbed whoever was around the office that day and was like, come on, you're doing line reads today. That that's what it sounds like. <laughs> I, I can explain this. <laughs> I looked it up and the design team based Heisenberg's personality and his like facial design on Nicolas Cage. Oh, a my man God. Who I've asked the same question about. Oh my god, that's true? That's true. Oh, fuck. That explains so much. Does it not? Oh It my makes god. him my favorite character in this game. It really does change the way I think about him. It really does. Alright, so keep Nicolas Cage in the back of your head while we're moving through the rest of yeah. this game, because... Nicolas Cage <laughs> dressed as Van Helsing is in this game. <laughs> what can we, who's the fourth villain in this game? Hmm... I don't know, Nicolas Cage Magneto. <laughs> Good idea. That's exactly what we need to add to this game. And honestly, it's no so one's going to question it because it's a Capcom game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what do we need? Nicolas Cage with Magneto's powers and Dante's attitude. That's all we need. Great, let's go. That really kind of, I mean, it doesn't sound great on paper, but I think it does work in this context. I'm, as far as execution goes, if you if those were your standards, this dude nailed it. It's all I've crushed said. it. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you're in this cave, and there's this door, and it like you pull the lever, and it's like it's not working. You turn around, and he has some quippy line, and he has just some magic shit, and then you're knocked out, and you wake up in this room, and there's this creepy ass little Annabelle looking doll that's like staring you in the face and like trying to get you to wake up. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what the fuck is this doll thing? So, you know, we'll get into that in a, a little bit. But this is where you meet the, you know, arguably all of the antagonists of the game. This, yeah. is, this is them here. This is the four lords of the village. You see Mother Miranda is here. There is Alcina Dimitrescu. Uh, the head of the Dimitrescu family and the Dim uh, the Castle Dimitrescu. There is Monroe. Is it Mon No, it's not. It's Moreau. Moreau. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Moreau. And then uh, the Lady Benevenito. Benevenito. There we go. I've Bene Beneviento. I don't, I don't, I say Beneviento, but I also saw I the name right. and was like, I don't even care how it's spelled. So, if you I remember the game, seeing you know it for the first about. time, and I did the the Italian gesture. <laughs> Spaghetti. Like, yeah, I've been the um, and then obviously, as we mentioned, Heisenberg, and they are there arguing about who gets to fuck up Ethan Winters. Like that's literally the the topic of conversation. Mm -hmm. And Moreau and the Beneviento doesn't really talk at all. She just has her doll wandering around doing weird shit. Monroe is too passive to really make a play at anything. So it just comes down to the nine and a half foot tall vampire lady who crushed me with your thighs, please. Um, and Heisenberg, who is just a, he's a pompous ass. 
and we'll get into a little bit more of his arc later when we get to that portion. Um, they're arguing over Ethan's body, essentially, who gets to kill him. They have different ways to do it. Um, and long story short, Mother Miranda makes the decision to give it to Heisenberg. And Heisenberg puts you in the gauntlet where you are literally just running for your life from a million different things. I love this, by the way. Like, this is what you were talking about, in my opinion, where it's like the adaptability from other horror games. This is very Outlast-esque to yeah, me. for sure. And this is something that um, Resident Evil 7 um, focused on one type of, like, horror. And I think it did it very well. But there weren't a lot of these big action set pieces, which aren't, you know, out and out scary, but they are stressful. And I think important for the scene um, are depowering for Ethan. Yes. Um, you're running away from all these werewolves and your hands are tied. So you can't fight back. Um, the gun that you just acquired is useless at this point. It, it's a good way to introduce your four main bosses and make them scary by putting you in a position where you don't have any say and you can't defend yourself. Yeah, I really, I, I like games like that. You know, I didn't think I did, but I loved Outlast. And I, I do love how they, like you said, they show Ethan's hands in front of him at all times, mm -hmm. bound clasp. So literally it's not like, hey, like press this button to break free or anything like that. It, it wants to remind you as you're moving through this, you have no use of your hands and you need to run. Mm -hmm. And then there's small cut scenes and quick time events, things like that, where you have to constantly like break, break through a wall or jump or go through a hole or something like this. And eventually it drops you into this pit and there's just like grindy things where I died about nine times of this part. And I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to do here until I got smart enough to duck beyond the wall? Long story short, you get out of the gauntlet. Everyone assumes you're dead because you got caught in the quote unquote grinder. Right. And then Ethan exits and finds his way to the castle. And here's where you meet a lot of people's favorite character in the game right outside the castle, the Duke. Oh, uh, the Duke. I love the Duke. <laughs> so this, honestly, whenever they, they introduced the Duke before the game came out, and I'm like, I'm not sure about the design choice here. The Duke is, I mean, not sugarcoating it here. He's just a fat bastard. Like, he's smart. Dude, thick as hell. He's Thicker than a bullet. <laughs> uh, gross. But I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Most definitely. Um, no, I, go ahead. The Duke is going to be your mer merchant character throughout the game. And all of the weapons that you acquire, well, no, not all the weapons, but all of the upgrades that you acquire, most of the resources that you acquire, and where you'll trade in all the treasure and stuff you find, that's all going to be done through the Duke. Um, and I think the game does a good job of fostering a lot of goodwill towards him because he only appears in a safe room, mm -hmm. which means that if you see the Duke, you know. For at least this moment, nothing's going to fuck with me. Yeah, and I think the game does a really good job of, like, subtly breaking down, you know, why he's... Because he's not just, like, the other merchant in Resident Evil 4, for instance. Because that's the only sure. other game that has, like, a defined merchant. Mm -hmm. And it's just, like, he's really random, he's really weird, and everyone's like, okay, why doesn't anyone shoot him? But, like, the Duke it has, like, an established relationship with the four lords like he's allowed to be there they there's documents you could find that explain that uh for instance him and Al, alcina dimitrescu have business together 
he's a very neutral party and nothing he does throughout the entire point or course of the game does anything to it to hurt them he only does things to aid you and you get the vibe that he would definitively do that if like lady Dimitrescu came in and was like yo i want to buy that shotgun he'd be like sold to the highest bidder like that's sure. just his character um but also i just i love the shout out I, I, we got to talk about i love the call out Dresden, a full merchant in this where what are you buying yeah, and he's like, that's just something an old friend of mine used to say. Like, yeah, they didn't have to add that. That's 100% fan service because there's literally no connection. Like, other than, I mean, there's the stories are obviously related because Leon, like, tacitly. Chris, yeah, I mean, they're the stories aren't intertwined, but they're taking place in the same universe, clearly. You know, it's all the same underlying virus and derived from the same <laughs> metamyces, sure. like all that, all that type of stuff. But and when I was saying that that uh, this game references a lot of different horror franchises, and obviously I think it's a love letter to to survival horror in general, it includes a lot of references to past Resident Evil games. Um, the Merchant obviously is one. When you start this game, one of the first real big action sequences is a timed encounter where you're stuck in an enclosed space with a never-ending horde of werewolves. It's incredibly stressful, and this is also exactly how Resident Evil 4 starts. Uh, with you trapped in a village with a never-ending proceed of villagers, and you just have to survive for whatever it is, two minutes, but it feels like ten. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, I mean, like, there's there's so many references. Like, if you, if you look at, um, in the beginning of the game, when you're walking around in Ethan's house, Ethan mm -hmm. and Mia's house. There's a book that's called A Historical Look into the Architecture of Eastern European Castles and Keeps, which one is a foreshadowing as to what's to come, like sure. the castle Dimitrescu. And it's written by, on the book, it says written by George Trevor. And George Trevor is the same person who built the Spencer Mansion in the original Resident Evil games. So, like, the detail is so minute, like, very like, sure. down to like just the smallest little thing so just little things like that i mean they just they build the world like you were saying they make it more real they make everything more connected and really tie together that everything is going back and we'll get into how the you know spencer ties into yeah. this whole thing later um so that's the duke and from there that's he's literally sitting right outside the gates to um the castle now, here's where I want to break away from talking about strictly story and get into because each of the each of the bosses, or I should say the the lords of the village, they bring a different mechanic to the game. So For this sure. is where I want to break away from talking about story. And we can talk about the story, but really get into what how we played this game, what the gameplay was like, the mechanics, the design, things like that, because every one of them is just 100% different from the next. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you walk in here, the, this is what I, what I was referencing where we were talking about the expectations of the game and what was brought up where on the forefront, everything in the marketing for resident evil was like, you are going to be chased by this giant vampire lady. And it's going to be like Mr. X level, like anxiety. And so the whole time throughout the beginning of this, I was waiting for her to show up. Like. And yeah, she, they, they put her on the front of everything. 
right before this game came out. And they were marketing to, to the inner, you know, I guess the lack of a better word, the inner pervert in all men. And, you know, even women, like she was just, she was tall. She was attractive. She was interesting. She was like, vampires are just something that everyone has. Like, I don't want to call it a fetish, but like a, it's, it's a mysterious science fiction thing that a lot of people like, like zombies in today's days. Vampires is another one of those things. And that's kind of encouraging, isn't it? Is that like, I think all of us come to this game with different life experiences, different values, different, you know, beliefs. <laughs> and at the end of the day, all of us just want to be sat on by a vampire. That's and true. I get it. That's true. You know, as far, when this game was like at the forefront of everyone's minds, I actually bought a candle uh, from a company called Wiccan Skull and it's called Vampire Mommy. And it says on it, it's, it smells like being stepped on, but with really nice shoes. And I got to tell you, <laughs> I love burning that thing. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, so, yeah, and I, I love the atmosphere in this because, like you said before, the castle, as you're moving through it, it's got, it's not a castle built for like a nine foot tall woman. So there, no, it's not right there already. You're getting a little bit of like the lore, the fact that like this is a castle. This family was not always this mutated thing. Um, and as you're moving through the castle, you start to uh, go into new areas, and then you meet the first of the daughters. The Dimitres daughters are one nightmare fuel, two incredibly sexy, three bugs <laughs> and i don't know it's like the nicholas cage conundrum how do they jam all those three things together and make me go yeah that's a paradox for sure <laughs> yeah right um and this this really took me by surprise because again going into this you know you, you saw the daughters but you didn't know much about them mm-hmm. when they they track you down they get you and then this is where you see what you're up against ethan is strung up by his hands and feet by the like by these hooks like he's hooked through the hands yep and hanging from the ceiling and it's grotesque you like you look side to side and see like the blood dripping on your hands and um lady dimitrescu is sitting in a chair with his back to her back to you with the daughters there in front of you and this is where it gets into some of the more interesting story points in the foreshadowing because she gets up she comes over to you and she drinks blood straight from your wrist um and talks about how his blood tastes stale um, so this is this is harkening back to some of the earlier points of Resident Evil 7, which how in the world did I not see this coming, by the way? Like, I think that was all the when at the end of this game, when we all had a revelation, we were like, why? How did I not know like that? That was the thing. Yeah. Um, but no, I love I I love this scene because this right here sums up like or sets the stage for exactly what you're up against. Like there's three daughters they're all, they all want to kill you and eat you. And she's like, yeah, that's totally fine. Like, she's just surprised that you're here because everyone thought you died with Heisenberg. Right. Uh, and his gauntlet. So seeing you here was just kind of interesting. And I love the design of this because like, there's the wine, there's the cup. This is where it gets into like classic Resident Evil where you're finding little items that are worth money that you can spend. Um, sure. To, to set the scene a little bit, um, your overall goal for this level is to solve a bunch of puzzles throughout this mansion 
Um, all the while, you're being pursued by these three vampiric daughters who aren't on any kind of script or a track or anything. They're just sort of, you know, naturally wandering the halls and can grab you at any time. Um, so it's a little bit more freeform. It's it's uh, less linear and more about expanding this map as as you delve deeper and deeper into the mansion. Um, and as I was playing through it, I was trying to pinpoint the kind of influences that that made this level happen. You know, obviously, I think you're right. It's a huge callback to like the original Resident Evil games. Um, but I think I also see some influence from games like um, uh, Alien Isolation. Yeah, I mean, there's I oh, 100 percent. I mean, that's Alien Isolation changed like the horror genre as we know it. And yeah. I think that's 100% right. Um, the mansion itself obviously is like a different setting completely than what isolation is, but it's just enough. It's like you, they take that and they kind of reskin it. There's so many different areas. Like it's almost Metro, Metroidvania esque in that way. There's so many different areas you get to and backtrack and grab something, go forward, open another door, have to go back. And, I, and the only thing I want to add about the daughters is that the only way to you have to eventually get to like their quote unquote room when you get mm. to the room, then you can end them. And then, cause they have an, you get like a little cold. mini boss fight. Yeah. Yeah. And they have an aversion to cold and you go through the basement, which I do want to talk about that because I love that. I love, cause I, it's you, just not something they, it's a new technology that they finally were able to utilize because like lighting in games and the, the uptick and like ray tracing was something that they really could, things hiding in the dark, but like the idea of moving through the dark dungeons and like mm -hmm. creatures slowly moving and brightening up as they come within your field of view. That's not something surprisingly enough that you see that often in games. That's and a I really good point. I really had to hand it for cat to Capcom for that because they're not hard enemies. They're not even really that creepy, but just utilizing that atmospheric trope in a way that nothing else really does. I mean, I, I really think that that'll be like a linchpin for how other genres utilize darkness. Yeah. And if we haven't said it at this point, outside of the design of this game, it is just draw droppingly gorgeous. It is. Like, it is Absolutely. a good looking game. Um, and run, like, it, it just runs incredibly well. And I, I, I can't say enough good things about how this game looks. Yeah, I mean, especially the mansion, the the colors, like the the red contrasting, like the off white all over the walls, and just the like the actual like architecture. Because the thing is, like a lot of people overlook with these games, and this is something why one of the reasons I appreciate this so much. It's like, yeah, there's a castle in a game. That castle had to be designed and structured and made to actually rest room on top of room, and like it took real architects to build that on paper before they could make it in game. Like that's the type of like design that they have to do for these types of things. And the only other game, and I, I hate to be the guy that keeps referencing this. The only other game that I can think of off the top of my head that has that level of like meticulous design was the original dark souls. Like how the world was perfectly mm. stacked on top of itself with a, like an immense level of detail and structure. So if you look back at like the castle again, referencing that and even, Heisenberg's area a little less so because that one has a lot of 
a lot of areas that aren't directly on top of each other. They're a um, little samey. They get a little samey. Yeah, they do. Um, but the castle itself is just such a beautiful like structure. And I, I have a lot of appreciation for how they, they created that. And like the, not only is it big in some areas, but it's designed to be immensely claustrophobic in other, in others. So it's just, it makes it all that more intimidating when we are being chased by the daughters. And then when you, once you get all the daughters down and actually killed them, that's whenever Lady Dimitrescu is like, okay, you've killed every one of my family, my daughters who aren't really her daughters, but you've, uh, killed kill one of my daughters. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> you kill two of my daughters. We're going to have some issues. Three though. Three. We're going to have issues. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, well, so it's kind of interesting because the game does do a really good job because I thought the same thing when I was playing it. I was like, it's like, obviously she was upset about the loss of like her quote unquote daughter. But as you find mm-hmm. these documents and it goes on to explain that these, these were just experiments that she just created. And now they're her quote unquote daughters. It yeah. made it a little bit more believable that she was just like, hey, Mother Miranda, this Ethan's here. He's killed one of my daughters. What do you want me to do? I'm not allowed to kill him. And she was like, fuck that. And then she pounds you through the floor. Literally all the like. Once mm-hmm. again, talking about how Ethan is somehow immortal until you figure out why. Um, but no, like the design of this entire area is fantastic. And. Alcina is such a foreboding presence throughout the entire thing. And I, I, I have a lot of appreciation for how they utilize her in the space that's given, whether it's like in the courtyard and especially down in like the dungeon area when you're trying to get out of the space when she slices your hand off. Right. What a scene, by the way. Hey, it goes back to the how we're talking about the, your hands are bound. Ethan mm. grabs a switch. And you just see a blade just go right through your arm and your hand is your hand, your arm goes down and your hand is stuck on the switch in the game while you are running away from Lady Dimitrescu makes you go back, grab your hand, carry your hand to safety while you're getting chased by vampire mommy. Like it's. And can I just say Resident Evil seven, Resident Evil eight have are both astoundingly funny in times and most of it is when ethan gets some part of his body cut off and has what is is decidedly an underreaction he's generally (laughs) surprised and a little bit annoyed it is funny every time yeah i mean you're not wrong it's uh it is weird but again they do a really good job of like because whenever Ethan, yeah, you have your healing or your your health liquid or whatever it's called, mm. and he just like sticks his hand back on his arm and is like, "Here's a little bit of liquid," and he's like, "Oh yeah, now my fingers work again." It's like, <laughs> okay, like because at this point in the game we don't know what's really going on. So like when I was playing this and that happened, the only thing in my head was I was thinking, "What the fuck?" Because like I understood in seven when he lost his hand and they had it surgically sewn back on and i was like yeah it was like stapled on or something yeah i was like that's doable doesn't look like they have you know a surgeon there but that makes sense but this was it was clearly like glue all right i'm good like so i'm glad they they found a way to explain that but anyway i mean the area is great i don't want to get into it too much because we've already spent a lot of time talking about it but i do want to talk about the boss battle 
So this area was terrifying. Like I did have a lot of anxiety and there was nothing like Mr. X had like a cue. Like when you were walking through like in Resident Evil 2 remake, you could hear him stomping and you knew he was near. Right. You didn't get that in this. I don't know how many times I went to open a door and it just like flung open and it wasn't just her walking through. She like ducks down and like has yeah. to get through the door and then she insults you every time and then starts chasing you. So it's just like not so you're only scared, your feelings are hurt. <laughs> yeah, like what what's the point of this now? Like I guess I'll That's just a die. double whammy. <laughs> yeah, and it's I don't know. It's the atmosphere is great. So eventually, whenever you find all the statues and unlock the door, and this I love this because it's it's not like Resident Evil 4. This is like Resident Evil 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Find the statues, place them the right way based off the poems, and unlock the door. Like that's classic Resident Evil. I love that call out. Right. I also love whenever you're in the Duke's room and then she's like, I know you're in there, Ethan Winters. You can't hide with the Duke forever or something like that. And then the Duke's just in there with like an ass load of food and he's like, help yourself, Ethan. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's good. Turns I, out I can, though. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that creative aspect. Because like you said, it goes back to the humor, things like that. So jumping forward, the boss battle. So without getting into too much of actually what happens, I this is not what I wanted. Let's let's just say that. This is not the boss battle I wanted with Alcina. I wanted a traditional vampire boss battle, but if we're looking at the traditional like Romanian terms for like vampire and things like that, the name her name loosely translates to dragon. So I understood what this had to be. So instead yeah. of getting this creepy dark weird version of her we got this (laughs) grotesque really bombastic and kind of in your face monster that doesn't all that tension you were talking about about like oh she could be anywhere yeah that all gets wiped out and this is something that i think you know this game in general doesn't do boss battles particularly well but that's something that's a criticism i think you could levy at most Resident Evil games. Yeah, you're not wrong. I just like I don't I really felt like Resident Evil 7 did a better job of it because the boss oh, yeah. battles were very few and far between. But they were But they were impactful. Yeah, and they they were more about finding the technique to beating mm-hmm. it, not just shooting it until it dies, which is pretty much what everything in this game was. Um Yeah. So that being said, I, that really was a negative for me when I was playing this game is particularly that. And in the back of my head, as I was playing this, I kept thinking as I was talking about hearkening back to the marketing for this game, I got such whiplash because once Alcina Dimitrescu dies, her, she's gone. Like that, that part of the game is over. And the whole time I was thinking that was the, like the linchpin for sales for this game. Like everyone was like lady Dimitrescu. And right. she's gone in the first few hours of the game. So, I don't know. I was, I was really let down. The creative decision to really hinge on that was smart, but I did feel a little betrayed after I got to that part. Not because I was like, I want more of this vampire lady because the boss was such so underwhelming that I was like, I can't believe that's already over. Right. Um, and I think maybe you could levy that at the, the 
choice on the marketing team to only show off that part of the game. You know, effectively, we're dealing with a 10 hour campaign mm-hmm. um, and your your time spent in Castle Demetrask is probably proportional to that, you know, split between the three other bosses. Um, but you wouldn't know that going in if you had just seen all the marketing material and assumed she was going to be a main antagonist. Yeah, 100 percent. And that's that's exactly what I assumed was that she was the main bad guy, because that's what mm. it said. Now, obviously, like I knew umbrella or what you know whatever the big thing was would be the would be the antagonist but um so moving on out of this just jumping into the next area of the game you get into the rose portion where your daughter's been chopped up into four pieces and stuck in little vials also had an issue with that, that creative point i don't feel like it was necessary to drive home what the game was wanting to accomplish i feel like it would have been just as effective if they had said the mother miranda has your daughter and is trying to get this consciousness subverted into her via the mega my seat or whatever it's called Mm -hmm. and the only way to get there is to each of the lords have like a key or that that would have been fine with me i did not see the point of making me harvest her legs and organs and brain and you don't like build a baby I, yeah, well, definitely not after part two. Like, definitely don't want anything to do with babies. Like, it was, it was, there was just a lot of, I don't know. It it just felt like an interesting choice to me. I felt like it could have been more impactful to focus on other things as opposed to that. Yeah, was. and there's a couple of plot holes that I think go along with that. I'll I'll save my commentary about the overall <laughs> story until we get to the end. Okay. Um, but but yes, point point taken. Um, so just to jump into part two of the game, there's some, you know, dialogue in the village, things like that. Um, and the Duke is really influential and this is where he starts to become a, like a real, I know I'm using this word a lot, but a real linchpin in the story. He's the one that's kind of guides you. And Ethan feels a little bit betrayed by this. I think as do the players, cause you're like, Hey, this is the merchant. And this is where you really get into the idea that the merchant is more than just the merchant in this game. And a lot of mm-hmm. people even think that he was at one point in time one of, or a lord of the village, because he has a sigil of like an owl or something like that. Um, so I, and all I the wasn't other, aware of that. Yeah, he has an owl sigil, and all the other lords have a sigil that looks very similar to that, right. just with some other logo or whatever. Um, yeah, so that the, a lot there's a lot of speculation that that could be why he's so integrated in the story and knows what he does. Um. But anyway, long story short, you talk to the Duke and he's like, hey, you need to go over there to House Bienavetto or Bien- whatever her name is. Mm-hmm. This is probably where I want to spend the most time talking about this, this portion of the game, part two of four, or I guess I should say two of five, is what sold me on this game. 100%. I, I'm glad you said that. Because I also had this down as this was my all-in moment. Yes. And I love how minimalistic this area is. I love if you know exactly what you're doing, you could be in and out of this area in eight minutes. I love that. You won't be, but theoretically. (laughs) Now, Now, in my Dashing Dad run, one, I played it with my headphones off because not dealing with that. Uh, (laughs) Two, I was in and out, and I think it was about 10, 15 minutes. Like it was a quick area for me, Mm -hmm. but 
at the very beginning of this area, you know something's wrong because there's no HUD. Like, you go in and you're just moving. Your hands aren't even displayed. There's no gun, anything like that. You go up this weird elevator. You're on a house in the cliff and you walk in and you are just, it's, it's just an empty house and it's full of dolls. I think this is a good moment to talk about the soundtrack just for a second. Yes. Because it's the the first word that came to my mind when I was thinking about the soundtrack is that it is so restrained. A lot of the time um during the course of this game, you're going to be walking around without any background music at all. Just, you know, the Ethan's diegetic foot footsteps and every once in a while, you know, a, a door will slam or something. There's some really good environmental sound design. And this area in particular does it so well, where things are eerily quiet when you walk into this house that's filled with creepy dolls. So there's going to be a certain subsect of the population that immediately just, you know, Alt F4 uninstall <laughs> at this point. Yeah, I mean, there were a few times I've wanted to do that, not necessarily in when I walked in. And I think that talking about the atmosphere obviously the soundtrack is a huge portion of that in this area but also the le the legitimate sa surroundings here because you walk in and you're like okay it's quiet the music is very restrained intentionally it starts to, to build and you have no idea what's going on because there's no nothing to interact with there's every room is empty it's mm -hmm. just the dolls, and you're like, what the fuck is going on? And all the way in the back of the house, you find the elevator that takes you in the basement. And here's where the game stops being Resident Evil and turns into Silent Hill PT. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, man, like, this legitimately terrified me. Like, I had to pause the game multiple times and breathe, mm -hmm. like, during this segment. And thank God... This is not an online game in any way that just I can't pause it because I probably would have had a heart attack. Same. It, it's funny because in, in Castle Demetrescu, I was really trying to work through like, well, you know, it's kind of a complex area and it's hard to figure out like what are the influences and what are we referencing? In this area, there's no question. This is pure, straight, a love letter to PT. And like, what a monumental impact that game had on game design despite being a demo for a game that was never released yeah absolutely and then another thing like the house itself all the dolls things like that i know i, I messaged you in the, this in discord but i saw this article online where they were talking about how in resident evil 4 there was originally supposed to be a portion of the game where leon gets hit with this cocktail or something like that and wakes up in this room with a bunch of dolls and is hallucinating. And they were like, no, it doesn't fit. They removed it from the game. And that's where they pulled the idea for that house from. So it was just more straight up, not even influence, literally ripped straight from like old files. Like, yeah, we need content. But way to I, execute I, though. Think about that though. Like, oh yeah. Like it's I, effective. It was phenomenal. So this is this whole area. It does, I think what I love about this area the most is not only is the music amazing and really scares you, not only is the environment claustrophobic, it's quiet, it's design is fantastic, obviously the graphics play like heavily into this. What I like about this are the, the technical mechanics of this area. It is so Resident Evil. It is 
in like in like a sandbox. It puts you in this small area and it's like everything here is interactable. This body on the table that's really a mm-hmm. doll that like I felt like I was Ethan when I was playing this because that the connection that I had with Ethan and we talked about earlier how I didn't really care much for Mia. I felt that finally at this moment because it wasn't so much about, you know, I wanted me that to be Mia. It was, I'm so terrified as to what's going on. I am also confused. And I really felt at this point, like you said, my all in moment was also this part, not only because of how great it was, but because I connected with Ethan here. I had no idea what was going on. And the only thing I knew was that I had to do something because I could not leave. And then you come to find out that all this is in his head, which doesn't make any difference to us or not, but it's all the more real to the player because you don't have a choice other than to face what's in front of you. Right. And I, I just, I can't say enough good things about how even, even the beginning scene here, like really even before the weird baby slug shows up, like this is, true horror here (laughs) yeah and it's such a departure from the rest of the game because all the rest of the other villains are very talky and this game in general really likes to hit you over the head with like you know i'm a big vampire that's my whole thing that's what i do here are my daughters and this is so quiet there isn't a lot of dialogue most of the storytelling about this area is done through the visuals and the actions that it has you perform as you solve the puzzles is there some sort of symbolism in the fact that like, you know, what this baby represents and how it murders you by eating you? Probably. I don't have a PhD, <laughs> so I can't figure it out. But um, that that's also where I think a lot of the, the influence from Silent Hill comes from, you know, a franchise that is so like marked by all of the horror is internal mm. and what you're seeing on the screen is representing what's going on inside your character. Absolutely. They, I mean, and they did such a good job of bringing that out throughout, not just the beginning where you're kind of messing with this body of your wife that you're searching for, or you assume mm-hmm. is, is dead. Um, but it's, it's pulling on emotions from the player and Ethan that neither of them knew they needed to confront yet. And obviously we know why, but it, it hurts. Like it really hurt, especially when you get to the point with the music box Mm -hmm. and you start to play it. And that's where like it stops after you actually figure out that stupid fucking scratch puzzle that made absolutely no sense. (laughs) Um, But once you figure that out, it, and it turns from that into from psychological horror and just utilizing environment, and then it has to add a creature to it that, again, like you said, there's like this whole, there's definitively something there, you know, a reason yeah. why that's what manifested in Ethan's brain. Um, but I want to We had to ahead. look up that Europe was across the country or not earlier. We're not going to solve this. <laughs> I hate myself already. Thank you, though. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, but once you figure out this, because it is, it's effectively a a puzzle, a little circle puzzle. And then I hate, I hate the well because (laughs) like, I, and I want to talk about this specifically because how I've talked about like hallways being claustrophobic. This game is like, okay, 
we're going to make you feel more claustrophobic than it climb down in this well that's like two foot by two foot and get something out of the bottom of the well while you know there's a baby crying somewhere near you and i'm dude this is the part where i literally hit escape and paused and spun around in my chair and went not today satan like i literally <laughs> said that i was like i cannot do this because i was playing it like one in the morning I was home alone and I'm like, this fucking sucks. And I paused it and waited until the next daytime to play it. Like I was not dealing with that <laughs> that night. <laughs> so I will. Yeah, I, I will absolutely cop to the fact that, you know, most of the time, you know, during this game, I saved over and over again at the little typewriter in that room just so if I needed to, like, quit out, I wouldn't lose that much progress. Yeah, for sure. It's just, it's, I cannot say, and I don't want to spend too much time on it. I can't say enough good things about how literally every aspect of this game is, is shines here. This is, this is definitively the pinnacle of this game. Hands down. I'm, I'm going to say that now. So eventually you get out of this basement and it's creepy and you narrowly avoid getting swallowed by this giant baby slug that is absolutely disgusting and weird and gross. Um, yeah, but <laughs> thinking about the joke you made about the, the vor <laughs> fetish, <laughs> uh, that, that got me pretty good. Um, on my second playthrough, the biggest problem was I had to fight my boner the entire time I was playing this game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I also like the boss battle here because this isn't, like you said, we, we talked about how a lot of the game or the boss battles here, shoot things, run gun, things like that. This was mm -hmm. different in a way that it was like a hide and seek battle. So cool. I love that because like you see the, the progression of what happens in, in the basement with like having to search for these little objects and unlock little doors and getting chased. And now there's something on the other end that's doing the, like you have to find it, but it's chasing you at the same time. And it's like, it yeah. utilizes time against you. And they, yeah. they even utilize time against you and the the achievement you get in this area because you have to find her and kill her and it's like 15 seconds. All three yeah, locations. Yeah, you gotta do it real or, quick. Or 45 seconds. Point being, it sucks to do that, but it was so cool running from room to room. The dolls are attacking you and then like you were stabbing this one doll in the face over and over again until it finally dies. And then eventually that breaks the spell on Ethan mm -hmm. and it turns out that it's been this lady the whole time and he has jabbed a pair of scissors into her face and killed her so that's whenever Which is something a normal pro person would probably have to process but again <laughs> Ethan Winters has one lonely brain cell bouncing around <laughs> so he's fine <laughs> I mean in the course of everything else he experienced in the last hour of his life that's I don't a good know, point. I don't know if that's really on the on the top of the to-do list, honestly. <laughs> so especially if you take into account his vor fetish. So <laughs> throw it on the He's... pile with all the other trauma, I guess. <laughs> and then after that, he turns around and picks up another body part of his child and leaves. So <laughs> there's also that. <laughs> um so here we get another transition. Um so we have area one where it's Long hallways, big castle, a lot of dread, I would say. Two is straight up horror. And then the mm -hmm. rest of the game is run and gun action. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. Especially this next part coming up. I think that's the most run and gun. And I, you brought up Outlast before. And now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, there's probably a lot of influence about, um, you know, keeping on the move in this next area. There is. And we're referring to Moreau. And this is this part is where Chris Redfield uh, reenters the story. And obviously there's a lot of animosity there between, you know, the lack of information Chris has given Ethan and Ethan. Um, but so when you get to Moreau, Moreau has obviously this one's unique in a way that you actually find the next container of your daughter before. Really early. Yeah, you yeah. find it like right at the beginning and then you're trying to escape. Um, which <laughs> this bugs me to no end. The crank system. That it was like, mm-hmm. oh my god, the crank broke. Now I need to go all the way across this area with this giant monster and get the other crank. It's like, okay, there's a more logical solution here. Put something else in it or like even use the broken stub and turn it. Like, you yep. lost your hand? Are you afraid of splinters, bro? Like, come on. <laughs> like, And again, <laughs> most of these plot holes can be summed up in the fact that Ethan Winters is not a smart man. That's That's fair. And I guess I'm, you know, who's the what obi-wan's classic saying who's who's the more fool who the fool or the fool that follows him or something like that i i mean i was the one that that did it i could have just been like i'm putting this game down right now (laughs) (laughs) but you know fuck me right so um yeah but like you said this this area too i mean it does a good job of doing what it's trying to do i just this isn't what i wanted out of this portion of the game like you're far enough into the story where you're getting a lot of details as to what's happening. Chris is back. You understand that this is bigger than just a beef between you and Mother Miranda. There's a lot more stuff going on. And then the only thing you get is literally just a run and try not to get hit sequence. And yeah, with a boss that's just really, really, at least in this portion of it, just boring because Moreau can't control his transformation. And he doesn't even know what he's trying to do. And honestly, you just feel sorry for the thing. Yeah. I think they were trying to set up Moreau as a sympathetic character. And that that doesn't quite pull... I mean, I don't think they pull this off. No, um, no. I also think where the other two boss battles are... Say what you will about Dumatrask, but it's it's well executed. I don't like what they were trying to do with it necessarily, but they accomplished their vision. Right. And in the Moreau boss battle, I feel like that's not necessarily the case. I feel like, you know, um, you fight this big giant mutant fish monster in a sort of enclosed space with a bunch of corridors. And it feels like you're supposed to like bait him into traps and sort of you trick him in things. And it doesn't really play out that way. At least it didn't for me. No. The, the two times <laughs> I went through it where I mostly stood at a distance and just, you know, Dropped a couple of, of magnum magnum bullets in him and called it a day. Yeah. I mean there was there was a clear target. It's not like do this. I, I would have appreciated more of like a funnel him here in order to get to the next section. Blow this up in order to expose this. Like mm. not very similar to how um Nemesis is handled in like the three remake near the end. Like you have to do yeah. like certain triggered things to be able to beat him. But Moreau is literally like, it's like the classic Resident Evil 4 boss. It was like, oh, cool. There's this big sequence. Neat. I'll just shoot him with a rocket launcher and end this battle right now. Like, skip all the other cutscenes. Yeah, that's effectively it. And yeah, so it just, it wasn't great. 
and then like escaping this this area was so confusing too because like once you get back into the mines i don't know how many times i went down the wrong path to get back out of this area because the other one other areas have like a natural progression to where it like directs you to the next area this area you have to go into find a new and then work your way back out of it and it was not great (laughs) so i i had to give this area just like a a d for in the design category i just wasn't a big fan of it um yeah i i'd i'd say that's the case one of the things that i really like about this game in general is that it's a mosaic of a lot of different you know tropes from different horror games so i understand why this is included um and maybe if you like that kind of game this section will be one of your favorites but for me it is kind of bland yeah for sure I don't really have a lot a lot to say about it other than like I, I do appreciate the lore that they put in here because like you said they do really try to make him a sympathetic character through like the notes where he was mm-hmm. really attempting he was he was the one that really founded you know, the whole the idea of the the Kadu, the Kadao, whatever you call him and really tried to put it to use but you'd think after you destroy a whole village and everyone's dead other than like everyone's either a werewolf or dead now in a fire. You could abandon dead the due idea. To werewolves. Who, who are you going to put this, these new cadows or cadoos in? Like, who are you going to put these in? Yeah. Like you're, you're fucked up, bro. Like you're, <laughs> you can stop now. Um, I, I think the best thing I can say about this area is, um, I really like Moreau's character design. I, I spent way too much of the, like, end game currency on all the model viewers mm-hmm. um which is technically pointless but if you're listening to this do that and just look at the amount of love that went into these character designs because they're gorgeous and highly detailed um and moreau's in particular where he has this fish that's kind of growing out of the back of him and you can see where his skin is sort of ripping it's a really cool effect um but probably the only interesting thing about him yeah, and like you like you said, the whole empathy thing that they really went for. There's like that scene where it's like you walk in and, and you really get the whole like he really is just trying to be loved by Mother Miranda. But like, there's no point in any other dialogue where she lets him feel that way. Like, there's no point mm-hmm. where it's like she gives any type of vibe that she's utilizing that against him to get what she wants out of him or anything like that. So it just yeah that point for him really falls flat and there's really it almost makes him seem pathetic like as opposed to a point that you could use to like draw empathy and really relate to that character and really give a shit about blowing his head off at the end so yeah much of the same way where you don't get a lot of time in resident evil 7 with mia before she turns you don't get to see mother miranda with these four other bosses to to really let those relationships um grow or or to see them develop, you know, yeah. you're basically relying on, you know, what these characters write down in their journals. That's a fact. Yeah. That's Resident Evil for you, though. Like, yeah, that's Resident Evil and Control. If you've ever played that, that's a lot of reading. Um, that is quite a bit of reading. <laughs> um, so from here, you get the third body part of your daughter and then you are directed to uh, one, the werewolf den where mm-hmm. you fight uh, the other giant werewolf man with a giant axe and 
literally feels like that serves no point whatsoever. Like you could literally delete that entire section out of the game and I don't think it would affect it at all. It was fine. It was yeah. interesting, but it served no purpose whatsoever. Like there, there's nothing that came out of that at all. This is about as arcadey as the game gets. And I guess it's, you know, it's enough for a pit stop just to really quickly talk about how this combat system is different from Resident Evil 7. Because it's the same sort of idea, you know, you'll, you'll block attacks from enemies and shoot when you see an opening. But the combat has gotten so much faster, Ethan is much more mobile, and I think has a lot of more uh, options added to his arsenal that, for me, made combat so much more enjoyable than it was in 7. Um, and that's, you know, partly in due to all of the new mechanics and partly in due to just a bigger pool of enemies to fight. Yeah, um, I, I think that's a good point because, like, I mean, it's just character progression for Ethan, ultimately. Like, he's mm -hmm. he didn't go into 7 with, like, a background in knowing how to shoot guns or anything like that. You get the idea that he's just, he's legit just there trying to survive and get his wife out. And now he's just some dude. Yeah. And now now is like, OK, I've learned how to use a gun. And now there's a lot of it. Yeah, I, I agree is what I'm trying to say. It's it's decent progression. It's fun. Like you said, it's it's a good time. Mm -hmm. But I in a game like this, I know I shouldn't be expecting Capcom to really pull something like that off really easily. But I mean. I don't know. I just wanted more from it, you know, especially because. I had the expectation going in, like I talked about, where it's like, all right, there's one, two, and three, there's four, five, and six. Now there's seven, eight, and a nine, you know, and we'll talk about that later. But I wanted, I needed more out of what I was getting to really drive what story is. And so I'm using that as like my, my balancing board um, for every idea that I have about this game is how does this fit into the larger narrative? could this game have done without it? Did it really just waste my time? Um, especially when it came to like the, I spent the most time in that area on my speed runs. Cause it's like, I'm trying to get this as fast as I can. And I just can't right. kill everyone fast enough. Um, so after that area in your boss battle there with like the giant hammer guys, which were fine. I liked those battles a lot. They were interesting and they were, they fit the, the game pretty well. Um, yeah. And they have a cool little story too. Like they were the two leaders of the like the little village, and the mm -hmm. two were brothers and all that. I, I really like that. Um. So next we get into our <laughs> Nicholas Cage star of the show, Heisenberg baby. <laughs> yeah. So I'll let I'll let you kind of run this one down if you uh, if you want to. I've done a lot of talking. Yeah, of course. Um. So this next area, uh, you're brought into Heisenberg's factory. Uh, it's a pretty innocuous looking barn uh, where you go in and you're confronted by Heisenberg, who basically makes you. He offers you a deal where he'll help get uh, Rose back if he can use your daughter to kill Mother Miranda. You turn him down because your daughter's not a weapon and he kicks you to the bottom floor of this giant, comically large factory. <laughs> so your goal at the beginning is very clear. You're on the bottom floor, like basement five or whatever. Your goal is to fight your way up to the top. Wait, you're telling me that there's an underground facility in a Resident Evil game? 
And I'm going to tell you it's the worst area in the game. I know this is mind-blowing stuff. <laughs> yeah, and this is where, you know, a couple of weaknesses about the game you can levy at this game in particular. A couple of them are just endemic across Resident Evil in general. And personally, I think that the back forth of Resident Evil games are generally where things start to go off the rails a little bit. Um, the concept is fine, fighting your way from the bottom up to the top. The problem that I've found is that all of these areas' rooms are kind of samey and don't have the same sort of charm or care put into them that something like Castle Dumitresque has um, that, that make you want to stay in that world a little bit longer. You know, yeah. you're, you're fighting through the same basic enemy types. There's really only two. Um, and you're going to be there for a while, unfortunately. It's a yeah. big factory. And it makes you uh, consistently backtrack to the bottom floor multiple times. Mm -hmm. And that really sucks. Yeah. To the same area, too. It's not like you're unlocking new things. It's like you get down there to get different items. So Yeah. It doesn't feel like you're unlocking any shortcuts. It feels like you're literally doing, you know, backtracking from a standard non-Souls-like video game, which never feels fun. <laughs> Well, not after we play Souls, you know. Yeah, not after you play Souls. <laughs> and by the way, if you haven't, if you're listening to this and you haven't played a Souls game, go do that. Yeah. Just pause this, play Dark Souls, and then come back. <laughs> You'll understand um, more about us if you do. It's, it's really kind of true. <laughs> it's a, I don't know if it's the cause or like a symptom, but yeah, they're related for sure. <laughs> um, the positives that I can say for uh, Heisenberg's Factory. There's a little bit of um, visual storytelling, and I noticed this. I, I wrapped this game up yesterday, so you know I'm coming off this kind of fresh, but I like that every floor has a method or a, or a purpose to the manufacturing process, where like, here's where we get materials, here's where we start to assemble all these evil robots that he's putting out there. Um, and it sticks to that, and you can see the through line of the manufacturing process, so there's a little bit of a narrative as you work your way up. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that, you know, what I was talking about with the restrained sound design, it gets cranked up to 11 here. The battle music in this area, I think, is the standout track for me. And the reason that it is, is um, one, it's incredibly tense, and two... It incorporates a lot of like mechanical and industrial noises um, that you could imagine Ethan is hearing as he fights off these evil robots. You know, there's a lot of clanking and like metal scraping on metal that are incorporated in the track. And I think that's just so well done. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I can't. I, I couldn't agree more. I, um, I will oh, say ahead. this just to just to comment on something you said. The reason I have such a big issue with this area, and I, I keep going back, I'm a big lore nut. If you don't know that about me, you obviously haven't listened to any of my other shows with video game mythos <laughs> and whatnot. And talking about like how this, I really appreciate how the stories tied together, blah, blah, blah. But I can't figure out. I understand him wanting to have this big robot army. I don't. I just don't see how that ties into like what what his overall was his plan to like use all four hundred and fifty thousand of these robot men and just march on Mother Miranda and control. I, I it just 
like the plot just falls apart here for me. Like it just doesn't feel like Heisenberg needs that. He doesn't have it. It doesn't serve any point to him. Like if he, because he arguably, based off the battle that you see, what his capabilities are, he's not the smartest in utilizing his his potential, but. It looks to me like he's stronger than Mother Miranda is. He's very yeah. strong. Now, maybe because he has the infection, Mother Miranda can control the Kadao and him and could put him down really easily, and that's why he has the army. But, like, there's not... I read the notes and the fact... I didn't see anything about his plan. No, and that's... Okay, this is part of why I kind of like Heisenberg. It's because nothing about that makes sense. You're absolutely right. I honestly think this is a hobby for him. Like, I think he's just building robots just to have robots. And I get that. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, like... I think he's fucking killing time. I don't... Did they and, consult you for this guy? Like, because every time you've, you've brought up something about him, I'm like, wow, that really, like, I, that hits me, like, in a weird way. Like, I've know. lost sleep thinking about Heisenberg. <laughs> he doesn't make any sense in this game, and I love him to death. How can you not love a man whose first thought when building a robot is, okay, we're going to take out the torso, we're going to take out the head, we're going to replace it with a giant propeller, and then he gets kind of pissed that his creation chopped off its own arms. <laughs> I love that. I love that document where he's like, this dude, put your arms down like you fucking idiot or something like (laughs) so, so funny, dude, that, that battle in that room with that helicopter blade thing, the, the big one, that was cancer. I died so many times in that. Like, I don't know why again, talking about souls, why I even as many times as I've died and had to learn mechanics of a boss why I can't apply that to probably arguably the simplest of enemies. But yeah, I and, still die so many times. And uh, that's another, uh, that's another moment where I think the bosses in this game let us down a little bit. Right. Cause you know, dodge a boss that charge and it charges into you attack him when he runs into a wall. That's like that. That's equivalent to like the legend of Zelda. Here's a big enemy with a glowing eye. Yeah, you know, that's exactly that is, what it is. That's that's Super Nintendo level like game design. Yeah, that is such a cliche <laughs> and like, yeah, I, I, that could have been done better. I think. <laughs> yeah, well, like you said, the game's front loaded, so <laughs> the game is pretty front loaded. <laughs> so but, his boss battle, though, like when we get to the end here, like that really upset me because they're like. If they think about think about this, you're he is effectively Magneto. He can control uh-huh. electromagnetic pulse or electromagnetic pulses, electromagnetic uh materials or metal. He can control metal. So the things he can do, the things he has done, he likes to blend it with like flesh and do that kind of thing. But he can he shows that he can control it. In the boss battle, he literally just turns into a giant transformer and starts to just slam the ground a bunch. While you're yeah. on effectively a, a John Deere with a minigun and just mow him down. Like, that. this is so... I'm sorry. This is the fucking stupidest part of the game. I had so many Absolutely. issues. Absolutely. I had so many issues with this. And the There's only a- good part about it is whenever he calls Chris, because you're Chris at this point. You take over Chris. Or no, well, no, no, still... I'm so- no, I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. 
I'm sorry. You're about you see, to be Chris. You see Chris yeah. before you go up. And Chris had built this John Deere minigun for you. What, what somehow, somehow. That? Like he's just in the basement of Heisenberg's place. Like, hey, dude, I built you a, uh, a John Deere tractor with a rocket launcher and a minigun on it. Have a good time. By the way, it's made out of weird plastic, so he can't control it. With, just kidding, it isn't. And he can control it. I, again, worst part, worst part of the game. Um, but he calls Chris a boulder punching bastard. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Like that's that hilarious. Yeah. Like I heard that and I had to like YouTube it and be like, did he just say that? And sure <laughs> enough, obviously referencing Resident Evil five at the mm-hmm. end or fight with Wesker, where he's like, just going to town on this at least like three ton boulder and knocks it into the lava. And it's like, <laughs> okay, bro. <laughs> It's so good. Like, this is actually why I was part of the reason why I was excited to talk about this game with you, because I think we both love this game, but I think we approach it from slightly different ways and want different things out of it. Um, and where Resident Evil is so capable of doing the real serious and creepy horror, it is also campy and stupid as hell at times. And those are parts that I relish. Well, it's like I, we've talked about this many times. It's like Resident Evil has the capability to be something like you said. It's it's absolutely fantastic. But we also have to remember that it's a Capcom game and Capcom, right. regardless of what they do, has to make their games just absolutely ridiculous. Just a little bit stupid. <laughs> There's a moment when uh, Ethan's hopping up onto the John Deere tractor that Chris has built for him chesting out the rocket launcher and chris says something like hey ethan try to keep it under the radar (laughs) that's funny as hell you built me a chainsaw equipped tractor with a rocket launcher what are you talking about right now oh my gosh i and like when you're up in the air or when he like charges you and you like throw up one of your like chainsaw arms off yeah. the like what the fuck is that? Like I, <laughs> I just the fact that like I how I breezed through that first playthrough and was like, dude, that was intense and didn't just stop and was like, I'm never what? playing this game anymore. I'm putting this what down and I never going do? back. I don't know how I made it through that. <laughs> like because really thinking about it is is so dumb. Like, but that's the thing. It's like in these types of games, you have to be willing to. We talked about the sport, meeting the game where it's at and really yeah. enjoying it for what it is, because at the end of the day, regardless of how stupid it was, I had a lot of fun, <laughs> had a lot of fun with that boss battle. It was interesting. So, it, yeah, like I think Resident Evil Village is trying to figure out effectively like what is a Resident Evil game and is pulling in a lot of different elements from its past history to sort of examine them. And that camp and sort of stupid humor is, you know, regardless of how you feel about it, a big part of Resident Evil. Yeah, for um, sure. Unintentionally for the first three and then very intentionally <laughs> for Resident Evil 4. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We all know Resident We all know uh, Hunt again called him back on a secure line and was like, yeah let's get it on like <laughs> regardless of what she said after after that game was over she's a fucking liar mm-hmm. um so yeah at this point you have successfully obtained the last piece of your daughter and then 
Ta-da, Mother Miranda shows up and was like, fuck you, bitch, and literally reaches into Ethan's chest and rips his fucking heart out, and he dies. He's dead. The person you've played for the last, I don't know how many hours, 10 hours, is fucking dead. And then it goes, the game's like, okay, bye, we're leaving Ethan's dead body in the middle of this field, and we're going to go play as Chris Redfield now. Mm -hmm. Now, at least, I didn't really care for the Chris Redfield parts of the game. As far as like a story perspective, because it it like it goes from being like a a Resident Evil game to like a, a shooter, effectively here. Yeah, but it makes sense. Like they it did does. it in a way that the story harnesses what's happening, and and that power like trip that. feels kind of earned. It does, right? It does. Um, I think a big part of that is a really really smart decision was having Chris's entry into the village parallel the way that Ethan comes in. They come on the same clifftop, and you go through the same environments, only now you have a full-on assault rifle. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, it it so completely changes your perspective on how threatening these things are, and your relationship to the enemies, where you don't have to think about, like, carefully lining up headshots and stuff. You can just spray and pray. Who cares? Yeah, it becomes a lot less about, you know, utilizing your ammo. Your biggest threat wasn't the fact that there's a werewolf in front of you. It's now there's 46 werewolves in front of you with yeah. people shooting arrows and throwing grenades. And I, I, I did like it. I, again, it felt out of place, but it was, you really have to, you have to remember you're shifting characters. Ethan's right. dead. And it keeps that on the forefront. Cause even Chris's own squad mates are, you know, messaging. Why didn't you do something about this? How did you let this happen? Like, this is fucked mm-hmm. up. Like what's really going on? Those types of things. They give him a lot of shit, and it feels like he's kind of in a managerial position. <laughs> like, I don't think in any normal workplace environment, that shit would not fly. No, no. To and give it, your boss that much shade during it, a meeting. Yeah, and it's like, hey, guys, I, I get it, but can we focus on the weird building that has tentacles coming out of it over there on the mountaintop? <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. <laughs> Say what you will about Chris Redfield, but he is a goddamn professional. <laughs> um, So you got another awful oh god i died so many times boss battle with the with another one of those like infected hammer bros mm-hmm. um not the ones from mario um but the <laughs> the other awful hammer bros um and then you find the the mega me seat the mega yeah the mega me seat and it is like this giant baby looking skin sack <laughs> like that whole way to describe it <laughs> that that's exactly what it looks like and it what it does is it holds memory and information of from everything it's ever infected which is what mother miranda was talking about how she could use rose to since rose had a strong bloodline but she could use rose's blood to uh dip it in the mega me seat and then it could transfer the consciousness of her daughter since it was also absorbed into rose and that's where the story still really starts to come together so Chris walks in and is like, yo, fuck this thing and shoots a grenade into it and walks out and blows it up. And it's like, neat. And then he walks into a lab. Now, um, I also, I thought about this and I wanted to confirm it. So I looked this up. So I don't want to take 100% credit for this. Um, I, like I said, I recognize it, but because uh, I have recently watched Alien Covenant. Mm. So I looked this up. Mother Miranda's lab is almost identically laid out like the makeshift lab that David had in the most recent alien movie. 
it's like oh interesting identical so and they did that because they wanted it to mirror the idea that since David in that movie was creating these creatures and ended up shifting something helpful into something that was more uh, selfish, it yep. kind of is exactly the same thing that Mother Miranda is doing. I see what they're doing. Because the lab itself, and we'll get into a little of the story here. Again, spoilers. <laughs> this is where the game starts to make a hardline connection to the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. You find out that Mother Miranda although she's, what, 400 years old or something like that, she knew Oswald Spencer and was very integrated, and the Mega Me seat was the original thing that the T-Virus was derived from. Yeah, and it was at least the inspiration for it. I think there's... Uh, well, right, and I think there was something where in there where it said that she had provided a sample of something to them, and that's where it, like, yeah. Came came up Mm -hmm. through um but there's also just a lot of information and like you had said this is where the game gets into not only the design but who every one of the four lords are how they came to be and it talks about how they're all they were given the cadao or everyone was but these are the four that were able to digest it and it flourished in them and they were very quote-unquote flourished in them yeah they're doing great (laughs) um but this is where like you said, at the end of the game, 90% of the lore and the information that you need to know really shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really didn't feel like it was too much because the whole game I'm looking for answers. And I really felt like in, when I was looking for answers, like I mentioned earlier, I couldn't tell if I was going to have to wait until the next installment to get those. And so I was, at this point in the game, knowing I was nearing the end and Ethan had already died, I was like, I don't know what to expect here. I'm not sure exactly if I'm, I'm not going to get any more answers. I had, I had swallowed that. So when I got to this lab and started to read all this, I mm. was fine with it. I didn't feel like it was information overload. Yeah. I, I would say that I, I found the, the, the connections that this game, I think, kind of forces between Resident Evil 7 and Resident Evil 8 and the mainline series. For me, uh, this was kind of a miss, but, you know, I, I went into it not really looking for that sort of thing. I think you're right. It's not information overload. And if you are going to, like, make the connection to the main series, this is a good way to do it. So meet the game where it is. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, I, and I, I will preface, I guess, what I had said with, the fact that like one of the biggest things I was looking for in seven specifically, and then I bled into eight was, Hey, how does this tie into not this story, this, this arc, but how does this tie into the larger picture? So I Mm -hmm. thought it was cool. While I do wish there had been other subtle references that had been placed in even seven about mother Miranda or I think it'd be cool if you could find some type of connection like in three or even two. Yeah. A document that even named someone Miranda or something like that. Just an inkling of something that would have let us know that there's some type of connection would have made this so much more powerful. But it does. I, it feels like they retconned really hard. 
<laughs> I 100% agree. And I think, because I was looking up a little bit about this game's development, that I have an answer for why that happened. Because Resident Evil, this game wasn't supposed to be uh, Resident Evil 8. This was originally going to be uh, Resident Evil Revelation 3. Which oh, is... Oh, okay. Okay. And somewhere along the development, they had, a, they had another game that was going to be planned for Ethan's story. Um, and the only things we know about it is that it was going to take place on an island. Ethan and Chris were going to be the two main characters. That got scrapped. And instead, they brought those characters into this environment and started rewriting things that were already in motion. Hmm. So it's a little bit of a hodgepodge, and that might be why the connections to the previous games feel a little bit tenuous and like you're right like it feels like retconning yeah i that's interesting i didn't know that mm. hmm. that said given i don't you know that seems like a really odd way to design a game you know uh, it's it's a miracle that we got this game that we did get yeah yeah i well i'll talk about more of my overall thoughts here about a minute but i'll i'll definitely I need to chew on that. That's interesting. I mm-hmm. especially haven't really put any, put a ton of time into the revelations um, arc of the Resident Evil series. So yeah, because um, you got other stuff going on. Because <laughs> we, yeah, we hate ourselves, but not that much. <laughs> yeah, well, literally anything else. So yeah, exactly. Uh, another interesting thing that Chris finds in this lab is uh, spoiler alert: Mia. And as you come to find out. The Mia that was in the house at the beginning of the got pumped full of lead was not Mia, and it was Mother Miranda posing as uh, Mia to be close to and effectively kidnap, like she did, Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I did want to mention, I also saw this on a, a Twitter post a while back and dug it up for this, as I wanted to make sure. Uh, the wine that Mia pours Ethan in the house is called Regina Rose. Uh, in Romanian, that translates to Red Queen. And if oh. you know anything about Resident Evil franchise, the Red Queen is the AI in the first Resident Evil. And it also pops up in the Umbrella Chronicles. So I thought that that's, was kind of another cool throwback. That's great. I like that. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I, again, I can't take credit for that. I wish I had the post. Um, I confirmed it on a... a an article that was written on sportskeeda.com. So I don't want to take credit for that at all. That was something that I I'd saw on a Twitter post. I wish I had the Twitter post. I searched for it, but I could not find it because I would love to give credit to whoever that was. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so Chris finds Mia and explains to her, this is what's going on. Ethan's alive. Cause at this point, I think he doesn't know exactly what happened. And then the screen fades to black and we are back with Ethan who wakes up in a snow covered field with some small, this, this confuses me. And I think it's just because it's the, I I have my theory obviously as to what's happening. So Ethan Mm -hmm. wakes up and there's Evelyn is there and he's like, what? And like you stumble around for a few minutes before this goes away. And I think, this is I, I'm assuming what it is is this is like confirmation that Ethan is part of the mold. And like that's where Evelyn is, as part of the mold too. So she's there with him. 
I'm assuming yes. that's what the the connection there is. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's absolutely fair to say that this isn't a physical space, um, and this is sort of happening in his head. There's a couple of reasons you can tell that. One, uh, his hand has been restored, which Ethan doesn't notice because he's a dumb donkey. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, and so here's what I think is. What I wanted to see happen with Ethan in this scene didn't end up happening. Where, finish your thought, like the the big reveal, please. Uh, go for it, because I I kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, fair enough. I was listening okay. to you and got sidetracked. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Um, so Ethan has been is dead and has been resurrected by the mold. So his body is effectively like, you know, just a mold body. Yeah, and he died in seven, like at the beginning of Resident Evil. At seven. the beginning of seven, you basically <laughs> played as Ethan Winters alive for for two minutes total. Yeah, and, and that, that I thought was really interesting. That oh, this isn't Ethan Winters. This is just a piece of mold that's taken on his identity. I don't think that is actually how the lore works out, but it would help explain. Like, no wonder this guy's such a fucking moron. <laughs> Yeah, this dude I, has no I, idea what's going on. I love how, like, when I'm thinking about this, I'm like, oh, yeah, it explains, like, why his hand could just come right right back together. It explains, mm -hmm. you know, how he can take so much damage. His heart could be ripped out, and he's fine with a little healing liquid, things like that. And you're like, that explains why he literally has no rational thought. <laughs> Let's rewind the clock <laughs> 10 minutes ago, where Chris explained to him that the Mia that they shot wasn't his wife, but Mother Miranda posing as his wife. Two minutes later, Miranda shows up posing on his wife, and it works on him again. <laughs> I didn't even consider that. Oh my gosh. No yeah, he's wonder. an idiot. He's yeah. an idiot. The dumbest man alive. <laughs> um so from here on, we finish out the game with Ethan. And you go to this. Man, I was so let down by this boss battle. The fight with I liked the lead up to it, the the injured, stumbling, mm. bumbling Ethan, like fighting and struggling his way to get to Mother Miranda. And then yeah. and then all that just goes away and he turns into fine Ethan for the battle. Yeah. Which was arguably just a the, one of the biggest letdowns in Resident Evil franchise in my mind. Like I really didn't like this battle. Like I in my head. Mother Miranda is, she's a meticulous, restrained, smart person. Mm -hmm. And then she turns into these weird, like, spider angel, like, things that, like, I just didn't, it didn't feel like they put any effort into making this character have any brain whatsoever like it was just like oh i'm just gonna let myself just get taken over by this thing that i control and just go crazy like and that just goes so far away from how she's meticulously crafted this little world that we're in and it just it feels like it, it just falls so flat it was I, fun I, but it yeah. sucked like i think her was. character design is neat i think she looked cool and intimidating and she looked like a final boss but 
you know, what we've been talking about the whole way through here is that each of these environments are so radically different from one another um, and test the player in different ways. You know, whether that's your reactions or, uh, you know, running away from an enemy when you don't have any weapons or puzzle solving. But almost all of the bosses are shoot it in the face until it dies. Yeah. And they're not distinct in any way for how you handle one versus the other, which is a disappointment for sure. Yeah, and I th- I think if you're going to incorporate, and that's like thinking about Death's Door for a second, which I would also love to discuss on the show at one point, um, mm-hmm. the way that like certain bosses utilize legitimate mechanics from every section, like they couldn't, they could have done something neat like that because they're all part of of her, and she controls that Kadao and all of them. There's so so much potential that they could have done in this area, whether it be you know just a small portion of each of their battles or something. It just, it just was, could have been so much cooler than it was. And I was just not okay with it. I agree. Um, but I mean, the music was great for this section. The intensity was great. Like it, it flipped, excuse me, it flowed really well and I had a blast playing it, but like it, it left a sour taste in my mouth for a final boss for sure. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, but the story from here on out, I guess I'll just kind of sum this up in just a few sentences so we can get into some of the better, more uh, end game conversations for the show and for the, the game itself. Um, Ethan destroys her and with the Megamisi dying, his connection to the mold and the mold itself is is decaying. Mm-hmm. And Ethan realizes this as the whole place is going up in smoke and blowing up he starts to legitimately crumble like his hand is like decaying and chris comes in and tries to get him out and be the savior but ethan realizes he's gone anyway and knows he's part of this mold so he's just kind of given up wraps rose in his jacket gives it to chris and sacrifices himself to save the both of them and ethan legitimately dies at this point again yeah again yeah um (laughs) So then there's this interesting scene with Chris where she has to tell Mia that Ethan's actually dead this time. She gets mad. And then there's this weird thing with the BSAA agent that's a zombie somehow. I don't I don't I don't even know what's going on there. We'll talk about that, that in a the, minute too. The implication of that is so good. <laughs> Imagining all these zombies in full combat gear. Like oh, dude, being deployed like, to do it. I had such a bad taste in my mouth for this part because it was like, okay, the Menemy seat is dead. Like the Resident Evil can rest easy because, and you know, they closed out that portion of the storyline too. And holy shit, there's a zombie guy right there. Oh my God. They're definitely not going to use that to keep the story going. Holy shit. Like it was so on the nose. Like I was like, I hate everything about what I'm seeing right now. It's like the developers were like, I think people are going to forget that this is a Resident Evil game. I think they're going to forget. If there's no zombie, they're going to be like, what the fuck did I just play? <laughs> yeah. So let's just put it in there. It doesn't even need to move. You can just lay there. And then he just makes oh. some impasse comment about, it's like, well, I guess I got to go give the people at BSAA hell. And then they just fly yeah, just, off in the I game. I guess the BSAA is evil now. <laughs> It just makes no sense, but that's where we're at. And now just really quick covering the end scene of this game. After the credits roll, there's a scene where uh, so many years in the future, I forget what the exact number is. 
Um, but Rose is an adult and she is visiting the grave of her father, uh, Ethan. And you get the idea just from, from uh, subcontext that she is being tracked by the BSAA and she knows it and they're there and she's aware of it. And she also makes a comment about how she was mad about it. And if she got any more mad, she would legitimately use powers that even Chris didn't know. So it's kind of implying the fact that Chris is mentoring her and mm-hmm. helping her stabilize herself in this world. Cause somehow she's got to be connected to the mold in some way. Cause there's no way she could be sewn back together and actually live unless she wasn't. So then that's where the game starts to get interesting. Cause it, she gets in the car after they sort out their little argument and she's actually wearing Ethan's jacket kind of sentimental and, and nice. And, uh, she drives away and then there's this random fuck off guy in the background. Um, that it's like walking towards the camera. Yeah. It's like, Oh yeah, that's just a random dude walking. No, it isn't. It's fucking Ethan. Everyone knows it's Ethan and the implication of Rose still being alive because of the mega me seat and how she would have died. If she would have been cut into a million pieces, literally implies the fact that the mold is still a thing and Ethan is a part of it. And so he's manifesting back following his daughter around like some weird creep. Like he has been. So for apparently the last 17 years or whatever, I don't know. It's weird and I fucking hate it and I don't understand it. There's a great throwaway line during that scene when Rose gets into the car with this random, like secret service looking motherfucker who, you know, just gave her lip and she's pissed off about. And he goes like, you're a lot like him, you know, like implying that she's like Ethan. And the entire time, I'm like, who the fuck are you? I was him. I've never seen you before in my life. <laughs> That's true. You do legitimately play Ethan for the entirety of his, like, I, I don't know, his living self, like yeah. beyond or before he got involved with all this. And the less he's part, and I don't think this is true, the, the communicators or whatever group it was, I forget what it's called, but the group that Mia was and they were monitoring him, I don't know regardless it's fucking stupid and i hate it and you're right it is a throwaway line as in you can throw it in the trash um so yeah that's resident evil village and i so what's what's funny here is i came to this podcast thinking man i really love this game i'm excited to talk about it and i know it sounds like i just spent two hours just shitting all over this game but i legitimately do really like this game i Um, do too i so here's the thing about this because I think in our last episode, we covered Metroid uh, Dread, which is a sentimental game for me and you. And I think was was so fun to just talk hype about because it is, you know, perfection. Resident Evil Village is so messy and there are so many things that you can pick apart with it. But all of those flaws just make it kind of more endearing to me. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so fun to talk about how stupid some of this shit is. And it feels a little bit like sometimes the people making this game are kind of in on the joke. I, that's I, like I said, that just feels like Capcom. Like I feel yeah. like if we ever cover another Capcom game, we're going to have that same gripe. Like, I just think that's, if, I mean, think about it. Um, Devil May Cry is the same way. I mean, oh my God, top yes. to bottom, you know, great games, but just so full of shit. It's, Devil but, May Cry is so interested in like, how much cheese can we possibly cram into one duster? <laughs> I hate everything about that sentence. That question is just awful. Thank you. 
especially in context of this game. Um, so one of the questions I wanted to ask you specifically uh, about this game, and this is just one of the one of the questions that I you know we we had talked about discussing, but this one I really feel like it applies for. Um, I wanted to talk about who the market was for this game. Because obviously the marketing for it was very targeted at Lady Dimitrescu. Mm-hmm. So taking that in mind, who do you feel like they were trying to put this game out there for? Take, yeah. Keeping in mind the marketing for it. Sure, definitely. Um, you know, I think obviously because it's a direct sequel to Resident Evil 7, um, you know, that's that's our target audience of people who are already invested in Ethan Winter's story and played through the first one. What's interesting to me is that I think Resident Evil 8 is a lot more accessible than Resident Evil 7. Resident Evil 7 does one kind of horror and it does it so well. But if that's not your bag or you find that a little bit too intense, then you're probably not going to be able to get through it. Resident Evil 8 is way campier and goofier in places and probably has broader market appeal than RE7. So I was, it's funny you say, you bring this up because I was thinking before we got on the mic, you know, would I recommend Resident Evil 8 to somebody who hasn't played a Resident Evil game or he hasn't played Resident Evil 7? And I think I would with a caveat of like, try Resident Evil 7. If you don't gel with it, look up a synopsis so you at least have some context and you can still have a ton of fun with RE8. Yeah, that's, I think I agree 100%. I think the only thing that I would add to that is that from a, like, taking away the idea of, um, like, the, the continuity of the story, strictly speaking, whenever the market discusses Resident Evil 7, it's largely referred to as a survival horror game, like, top to mm-hmm. bottom, because it was such a unique entry in that it had, you know, like Outlast, uh, other games that were very similar to it were like a starting point of something new and it was exciting and fun, but this is a franchise that you're embedding right. in something entirely new. So I I don't know. It, it It's so unique. I, that's why I said I agree because like I, I think 100%, I don't think just anyone, this was not just for the average gamer but I do think there's a lot of accessibility and what they were, they were, they were going for here because they were like, okay, you're going to get that survival horror here. You're going to get that anticipation. We gave you in resident evil Two remake. You're going to get that. Those action shooter moments. Like we're, we're broadening the market for something. And this game brought a lot of people back to seven as well, because a lot of people played this and like, this is great, but I have no context and went back and played seven either for the first time or whether it was me, I picked up the DLC and played through it even it's still not even free. So like that was a lot of revenue for them too. So um, sure. You know, come to find out the one that I played had nothing to do with it. And I fucked me. Right. So, <laughs> but you know, point being that I think that was exactly what they were trying to do. So yeah. also they brought in the, you know, the, the mommy milkers crowd. So, right. um, and you know what? Not enough games pander to the mommy milkers crowd. I'll say that right up top. You know, I think that they do. We just have our Steam settings with that turned off. So That's a good point. <laughs> I actually think there's more of those than we realize. I stand totally corrected. <laughs> that is the that is the bedrock of Steam that like 
you don't want to dig too deep. I, I actually was listening to a podcast the other day where they have uh it's like a Steam ID site and it sorts by like it tells you every time a new game is uploaded to Steam. And they said they had to add a filter because over 50% of new games added to Steam are hentai games. Over oh, 50%. <laughs> and I had no idea what to say to that other than I weep for this generation. Um, and I'm thankful that those are not natively available in my, my recently purchased list um, for my friends to see. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about with this game, uh, was a lot of games nowadays, especially story games are launching at this unique, uh, price point of like 40 bucks, mm-hmm. but Resident Evil Village did not, uh, it launched at 60, which was interesting. Cause like a lot of new stuff is like at 70. So I, I was glad they kept that $60 price point. Um, sure. but I feel like the value to money ratio with this game with a lot of story games. I don't feel like I get a lot out of it. I feel like this game was worth the $60 that I paid for it. And a lot of people got it on sale, especially if you play on PC, they ran a lot of $10 off sales during the pre-order phase. For Um, sure. I still, to this day, if you haven't played it, would recommend it for the 50, $60. There's a lot of replayability in the story. There's a lot of challenges, uh, a lot of achievements, uh, that you can you can run with this. The only problem I would say with it is the aspect of replayability they tried to pitch you because the mercenaries mode in this game is trash. It sucks. <laughs> I don't know if you've yeah. tried it. I I played around with it for a few minutes and was like, oh, I don't I don't chill with this at all. No, and in other Resident Evil games with mercenaries mode, it's a we give you a time limit and you kill as many enemies as you can and in as long of a streak as you can within a certain amount of time. This game, you have a limited amount of enemies in your mercenary mode. So it's like, hey, there's only 30 enemies on the map. Have fun. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I came to mercenaries for. That's not mercenaries mode. Like, right. So I so as far and that's what made this this interesting to me is that that's a mode they added to the game to keep people playing. But what kept me playing was I wanted to replay the story and find new things and dig more into the lore and do the challenges and things like that. So I like I think it's interesting that the game itself is what I got my value to money ratio balanced out at as opposed to the thing they legitimately put in the game to keep me coming back. Yeah, that's funny. I so I, I have a couple of notes about what I consider to be like the the new game plus or post game content. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> he said the thing. i didn't touch on mercenaries mode um if you're wondering if this game is worth it for 60 dollars, you know you've heard us say 10 hour campaign and it is about that it feels much lengthier just based on how varied all the different environments are and the first time through you know you're gonna get lost you're you'll need to take breaks at certain points it feels substantial it doesn't feel rushed right um I loved how they did um, the extra content shop at the end. And that's what I consider to be. Uh, I, this is a phenomenal like new game plus mode is the ability to unlock certain weapons. And that means on subsequent playthroughs, you can adjust the difficulty. You can choose the kind of loadout that you have. You can sort of you, you have a lot of expressibility and you can customize different runs. Um, the challenges give you something to strive for if you want to try to do like a survivalist run or 
you know, do you want to turn your braid off and get unlimited ammo and daka 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 at some <laughs> werewolves? You can do that. <laughs> like that's, I think that's a great way to do, um, to get people to come back to the story is let them customize their experience a little bit. Yeah, I agree. And there's, a, I think there's also a lot of opportunities once you've played through the game, just talking about that specific, you know, the, the content after the game. Going back, like you were talking about earlier, there's a lot of art now that you're familiar with the characters and you've read the lore and the story going back and looking at, you know, the intricacies in, you know, the character models, things like that. They've added that jive with the information that you found out at this point in the game. So I, yeah. I, I think that that's that's a really good point. I agree 100 um, percent. As far and specifically talking about that type of element, I think we saw it with seven. So a lot of people were like, they're bringing it with eight. The game has a lot of opportunities for DLC, whether it's prequel stories with, you know, the games of the village, or if it's, you know, a lot of people, the big discussion is, will the arcs with Rose, is she going to be DLC? Is Chris's engagement with the BSAA, the next story, or is that going to be part of the DLC? Because honestly, if you had asked me after playing the original story content for seven, what do you think the DLC would be? I would not have said any of the things that it actually was. It was so off the wall, but it still made so much sense. So it's really hard for me to look at this and go, this is where I think the DLC is going to go next. It's it's really up in the air. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be one of two ways, right? Where it's going to be either an original character that's semi-related to this story that we've got already and, and building the world out that way. Or it's going to be another way to connect this, you know, Ethan's plot to Resident Evil as a whole, where we find out like Ada Wong fought a vampire one time. <laughs> oh yeah, she's probably there somewhere, hiding in the bushes or something. Yeah, this is that's just her. You're going to see a trailer <laughs> for the uh, for the DLC, and the first thing you'll hear is like a grapple shot. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Uh fuck here we go <laughs> yeah right <laughs> krauser <laughs> he survived um yeah i i think as far as the the game's expandability there's a lot of opportunity is i the reason i bring that up is mm. i i just don't know what they're gonna do with it i don't they haven't said officially whether they're working on dlc or whether even if they're working on nine you know they could they could legitimately close the door and be okay but they're not. This is their money maker. Like Resident Evil is. There's enough faith in this franchise still that they could put out dog shit, and we're still gonna buy it. They have another six in the canon, is what I'm saying. Before we we abandon this franchise altogether, it it's the tale as old as time, man. <laughs> Resident Evil reinvents itself to you know modernize and get right with the modern era, and then they run that shit right into the ground. We'll see. We'll see what's next. I guess. Um, we talked about like what our all in moment is. We talked about a lot of the glaring problems, things like that. Um, what I did want to ask you is specifically in resident evil, we look at a lot of different, like we've talked about different, um, not just entries, but different, um, game types. Like they all, they play differently. And even Mm -hmm. within their, like their segments four played differently than five, five played differently than six. Like they, they evolve slowly. It seems from being survival horror more and more into action as you go from one, two to three, four, five, and six, seven, eight, and, and 
presumably what's coming with nine. Um, sure. How do you feel eight lines up to the rest of Resident Evil? Like if you had to rate not, I, I don't want like a list of like, Hey, from one to eight, where, what's your sure. List? But how do you feel like it, it lines up with the best of in terms of, so to preface this before this game, Resident Evil four was my favorite Resident Evil. Um, it is where I think it started to embrace the fact that like, Hey, we're kind of bad at writing a story. Let's lean into that and explore that a little bit. Um, and I think Resident Evil eight is the first game since then that I think has, has sort of grabbed me in that way where it's real kind of schlocky horror and combined with a lot of at like very competently done tension and survival horror elements that I don't think Resident Evil 4 even managed to pull off. It's it's got to be near the top for me. Like I I that it is so unique in in like the horror game genre and it really stands out as an anomaly. You know, I I dig it a lot. I I think I mean you you took the words right out of my mouth cuz that's exactly what I was going to say was that like Four, four was definitely up there. I really like two remake, but two, mm-hmm. I still liked four better because two being a remake, there was I was comparing it to a different set of standards, so I'd try not to keep that up there. Um, mm-hmm. And three ruined it for me. So, um, <laughs> but with eight, the ability to look at it and segment it by how different each area was, and not only the area and how it played, but also the environments, the soundtracks, everything was so fluid in the game even when it felt clunky it was still fluid in a way and four didn't have that four felt very much the same all the way through even as the environments changed um maybe that was the technology they had maybe that you know i I don't know um but i do think that as it scales to other resident evil games i would put this at the top of the list um sorry if there's any purists out there who are in the (laughs) the og games i'm not saying they're bad i'm just saying there's a lot to this game has a lot to offer. Yeah. It's so maximalist. You know, it feels like they threw everything at the wall. Just like, you know, maybe we try a segment like this, or maybe we do like that. And even if none of it, like not everything works, it's hard not to find some elements that cling on to and go like, that is an incredible idea. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think this is probably, if not, tying or if not top then it definitely ties um just a lot of fun um i don't really have any any do you have any ones that you wanted to discuss as far as specific questions surrounding like end thoughts on the game or does any end thoughts on like the story or mechanics that you wanted to really hit on before we jump into some of the the closing marks because we're we're going on two hours here if you guys are bored talking about resident evil i don't care to go on i'm just saying I, I've exhausted my my questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the only other thing that I wanted to call out specifically was I think Resident Evil 8's map design, where you're constantly returning to the like in the middle of the village, using that as a hub, and you can kind of choose if you want to go on to the next story segment or do some light exploring and do some side missions and stuff like that, is so natural 
and provides a really good player-driven pace that I really appreciated. I think that's the only element in our, our two hours that I didn't call out. No, I mean, that's, that's a good point. I, and I don't want it to sound like I'm not paying attention and just agreeing with you for the sake of agreeing with you. There's a reason Max and I are doing the show together and we, we talk about a lot of this stuff already. And mm-hmm. there's so many things that he says that like I agree with, and then you'll say it and it'll change the way I think about it. And a lot of the stuff we've discussed before. So um, if it sounds like I'm just agreeing with him for the sake of, it's not the case. It's just, we, we do think a lot alike in these ways, but the thing I, th- about this game, you talk about how we're approaching it very differently. I think you naturally have, you already stated you approach this game with the sense of, it's Capcom. I, I don't need to take this seriously. I walked in with the, this is resident evil and I want this to be everything resident evil is. Right. Um, and so the discussion has really helped me frame the game better. And I, I've, I've, my opinions of it have changed from this conversation. Um, but just to get like down to the nitty gritty on how I really feel about it, my overall like closing opinion of this game is this is a really accessible, fun, uh, pseudo horror game that if you're looking for something to satisfy that the shooter niche put down the fucking call of duty you idiot and go play something with a good story that's fun interesting funny scary this has something for everyone mm-hmm. and if i had to put like a a number on it uh, even though this is like one of my best games of 2021 i'd probably put i'd probably only give this like a seven and a half out of ten like if i had to rate it i know i'm not like in this show for the in the business of rating the games but that's like mm. if i if you were to ask me what i rated it that would be what i would give it so. yeah i think pseudo horror is a great way to describe it i i completely agree with that 7.58 seems about right for me you know my closing thought would be resident evil sucks i love resident evil <laughs> god it just it hits me so hard every time you say you say something like that <laughs> it's so true um yeah so we're we're in the process right now of talking about um i know that we didn't talk about a lot of like the specific art design we talked a little bit about the soundtrack and things like that i didn't want to talk about like the art design because this is the type of game that it incorporates your ability to explore those things for yourself and I don't mm-hmm. want to like really dive. I know we touched on a little bit, but I don't want to go into this. So if you feel like we we were lacking that, I really do try to tailor the conversation around what the game gives you. So if you're going to play it, go look at that art and go look at the direction they provide because there's a lot. There is a lot there. And so we talked about how we wanted to rate the game. And now I want to jump into what is personally my favorite portion of the show. Our second <laughs> opinions. Nice opinion. Just one tiny problem with it. I love this part. I don't know if you love this part or not. Oh, I definitely love this part. (laughs) Um, I don't think you understand. I do so much hate reading in my own time (laughs) where all it's so unhealthy. I will look up things like movies, games, books that I love and intentionally read bad reviews. In contrast, I will look up things that I hate and look up good reviews. I am fueled by nothing but anger and self-hatred, and I will die miserable. Like we said, play a Souls game. You'll understand us a little better. Uh, so, so much more. <laughs> um, so in, the, in this segment, for those of you who are starting here, because I imagine we'll have that from time to time with especially uh, specific shows around specific games. 
But this is a segment what we like to do is you know what we take of the, our take on the game. We obviously love this game. Even though we tear it apart, we do we do it out of love. It's like a child of ours. Uh, we beat it down because we love it. Um, but the the idea here is we look at uh, legitimate company reviews that have made Metacritic. We love this game. We go over what the this our score and how we feel about it. Now we're going to talk about some people with contrasting opinions to ours and why they thought that, and then we could tell them why they're wrong. That's that's why we're here is to to be right. This is our voice, so <laughs> we're going to do it's, that. It's hard hearing people be so wrong who got paid to be so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's so frustrating about it. They got paid to be wrong. There are mm. people out there fighting big corporations like Activision Blizzard and, you know, uh, I don't know, pit, take, draw a name out of a hat and they're battling horrible work conditions, sexual assault accusations, and you are getting paid to write a shit review. So yes, I'm going to take the time to shit on you, you piece of crap. <laughs> so just keep that in mind while you're writing your ass reviews. Yeah. Anyway, so first off, before I jump into this, Max, I, I hope you don't have it pulled up because just like last time, if you were to rate or guess what the Metacritic score for this game is. Okay. What do you think it is? We'll see how close you can get. Because you were like 0.5 away on Metroid Dread. Like you were within a one. So yeah, that was, a, that was a pretty like obvious critic darling though. It's true. And Resident Evil true. 8, to be honest, I have no idea how this was received like by the general public. Um, I'll say... Now I'm 80. on crit. I'm on critic scores, so I'm gonna move to user. user no, no, no. Scores. Stick to stick to critic scores, I guess, since okay. we'll be talking about critics. Okay. I'll say eight eighty four. Eighty four is literally it. No way. You just you just peaked again. Like oh my god! You're you're uh yeah. It's never gonna get any better than this, folks. You can go ahead and never come back to the show. Uh yeah, eighty four is the current metacritic review there are 108 critic reviews that metacritic has approved for publication and that is the score good job max if i had a uh, a prize for you if i would known you're gonna nail it i would have given you a prize uh, that's all right <laughs> tucking myself into my waistband right now is my own reward <laughs> hey there you go <laughs> um so typically i like to do two reviews and we talk about why they're wrong but i wanted to do three on this one because there's some really shit stuff in here Please. Uh, so our first second opinions review is from the video gamer. Video gamer. You have the audacity oh, to name yourself the video gamer. The video gamer? Yeah. We the, finally found him. <laughs> the video gamer. Reaching the credits, I saw sat back, exhausted and disappointed at where the series had ended up. Now, that that's the review. We're done with the reading. Sure. The reason I wanted to talk about this one, it's a 50%. Okay. I, for a 50%, you're saying half the game was fine. The other half sucked ass. You know, mm -hmm. if you're, if you're breaking it down to the black and white here, I understand this review. <laughs> I do. Because you're, if you look at what we had said, the game's front loaded. The game mm -hmm. has a lot of things that we were really frustrated with. There's a lot of, 
it dips lore at the end of it and yeah. like outside of the good parts the lore all exists at the end where the game's front loaded with good gameplay i understand how someone could feel that way that being said this person lacks all appreciation for what like you said and we've talked about what capcom does with a game because I yeah. feel like that could be copy and pasted for literally any cop Capcom game ever played, whether it's Monster Hunter or Devil May Cry or Resident Evil. Like you could say, say that about any game that is modern, honestly. Like <laughs> my my like my running campaign through this podcast is gonna get you is getting you to try Monster Hunter just just one time. I've tried it one time. That's why yeah, I won't I know, try but not it again. With me. No, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Point being, this guy's an idiot and put very little I, thought. This guy got paid to write this, Max. No, I he know. Wrote one and that, sentence. And don't get me wrong, that sucks. But like I I think maybe if you approach this as like a real Resident Evil purist, where like you're waiting to see, you know, you care so much about the characters that have been brought up until this point and you're sitting there just angrily cr- clutching the controller being like where is claire redfield then like yeah you're probably gonna have a bad time with this game that's that's the only way i could see a 50 percent. and if that's the case like uh, good i'm glad you're disappointed yeah and so the other and the reason i wanted to to do that one is because the next one i it's also very short and i'd mm. pick three because there's I don't have a lot of complaints with what they're complaining about and some of the ones that are actually juicy bad reviews. So this other sure. one is also, it's, it's a little better than a 50. It's a 60. And it says, Resident Evil boils down, from Digital Trends, that's the name we all know. Oh, yeah. Um, Resident Evil boils down all the best and worst parts of the franchise into an eclectic, though uneven experience. The reason I, I, I hate this review is because this literally tells me nothing. There is no <laughs> thought put into this sentence. Not at any point does this tell me what to expect from this game. Best and worst parts of the franchise into an eclectic. That's a eclectic is like it's an adjective. So it needs to be referencing something. And this is referencing absolutely nothing. Well, like, I think <laughs> the reason that I hate this review is that I agree with everything that's been said but that's why i give it like it i would give it in a high 90s <laughs> i i i hate it i hate everything about it <laughs> digital trends stop because like i i feel like this i don't feel like the worst parts of this franchise were put into this i don't feel like there's a a drip of resident evil 6 in this game because even the parts that are pure action they mm. make sense. Resident Evil 6 was built in a time where they're starting to add like quick time events and games and things like yeah. that. And it was There are very few glitches in this game, I'll <laughs> say that, which means that it's not they don't incorporate the best parts of Resident Evil 6. That is true. Yeah, and there there's no like an overly amount of like walls exploding with something coming and going stars and like you're unable to do anything <laughs> about it and just die. So I I just feel like Digital Trends miss misses the mark on this game. And someone was like, oh my god, I need to watch a YouTube video of this game and I need to write my review of it. That's what happened yeah. here. So the other one that I wanted to, to talk about um, 
and it's actually not it's not a terrible review it's still in the yellow there are no reds which is it's good i mean down yeah. in that area below 50 is red but this this is still a yellow review 68 from fourplayers.de so it's a denmark company um capcom delivers a horror carnival with a ringmaster who wants to deliver the maximum amount of beasts stunts and clowns you will experience spectacular boss battles and beautiful audio as well as visuals, but also quite a few embarrassing and frustrating elements. I don't disagree. There are no clowns in this game. <laughs> uh, Your opinion's invalid. <laughs> I mean, that's not true. We talked about how Nicolas Cage is in this game. so you le- that's a, That is an actual, and hear me when I say this on every level, he is a national treasure. <laughs> I hate everything about what you just said, and you can stop talking forever. I feel like every podcast we do, there's going to be one thing you say that I'm going to be like, stop talking, we're done here. <laughs> and probably time, all of them will be Nicolas Cage jokes. It's entirely possible, because every time it's going to be my favorite part of the podcast. <laughs> great, great. So the reason I picked this one here was because I... It's it's kind of like how I was saying in the first one. The first review that we read had like I didn't disagree with it, but I felt like they they didn't fully understand what they were doing. I feel like this review, it they think about the game very similarly to the way we do. There's mm-hmm. a lot more bosses or a lot more uh, fights in the game. It's more action paced. It's drawing in a new crowd. Um, they liked the boss battles, which I don't necessarily agree with. It had a one boss battle that I really loved. Um, mm-hmm. The audio was great and the visuals were also great, but I didn't feel like anything was frustrating in the game. I didn't feel like anything was overtly hard. Or, Absolutely true. So I, I'm not sure at what point, like I would, I would need more context to understand this, but to publish this as your, your headline for your review I'm not sure. That's why I picked this one because I don't understand what you're really trying to convey here. Like, because you know, it. Why was it a frustrating? What were frustrating elements about the game? Because the game was so polished. It was probably yeah. one of the most polished games that's been released in the last two years. If you're being honest, outside of like anything Nintendo, because they just don't do bugs really, right? That Effectively, o- that often anyway. Um, but no, I just felt like they played the game. The person who did this review has never played a Resident Evil game before or had yeah. no idea what the market for this game was. I kind of get that sense. And I think maybe uh, this does the game a little bit dirty, because if I tried to go into this game based on that review, I would assume that like, oh, there's going to be some bullshit moments. And during the combat, I never felt like, yeah, I died a few times, but I never felt like I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to do. You know, yeah, like absolutely. I, it was generally my fault where it was bad positioning or I'm a real whore about reloading after I fired like two bullets. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> because I'm effectively a coward. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it didn't feel frustrating at those moments because I knew what I had done wrong and what I can do better. Yep, I, I agree. I, this person sucked ass at writing reviews and played. Play your games in their entirety before you write your reviews, please. Uh, fourplayers.de. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that, that wraps up the second opinion section. Uh, before we jump into closing this out, Max, do you have any final thoughts on the game? Anything that you wanted to say or anything else? 
Um, I had so much fun ripping this game over the last two and a half hours. Yeah, I... I <laughs> It's funny because there there were moments that I thought maybe were boring or or you know just kind of overtly ridiculous and talking about them with you during this are they're now some of my favorite moments. Yeah, I, well that's exactly what I was going to say too was that the this has brought a fresh perspective on some of the failures I mm. thought this game had. Um but I I don't know. I think Capcom is extremely mature in a lot of ways that we don't think we don't typically think they are, you know, when you, you talk about the upper echelon of the gaming community, you don't typically rope Capcom into the, the top five AAA companies out there. You're, you know, your Activision blizzards, your, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? Um, but they've, they know what they're doing and they do it very well. And they've fallen into like a, a rhythm here. Um, yeah. And Resident Evil Village is just such a spectacular showing of, like you said, throwing everything at the wall, looking at what sticks, seeing how it can jive together. Because if you had told me walking into this that, hey, you have a little bit of Silent Hill PT, you have a little bit of Call of Duty, you have a little bit of like just Victorian vampire stuff like that, I would have mm-hmm. been like, get out of here. That sounds like absolute dog shit trash. You have no know. idea what the fuck you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. But this game just, it just executes. And while it's a little bit ridiculous and a little bit not like unexpected, mm-hmm. it's very good. And yeah. like I said, I ripped, I ripped it apart in the parts that I felt like it deserved to be ripped apart at, but it was intentional. And yeah. the game as a whole, if you play it, it feels like it was meant to be the way that it was. So I, I can't recommend it uh, enough in that aspect. Like you're you you get exactly what you pay for in this, and it's definitely worth the money. Give it a shot if you haven't. That absolutely. That'll, that'll be my my closing statement. So. Resident Evil sucks. Go play Resident Evil. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so thank you for putting up with us, everyone, for another two and a half hours. And I mean, if you if you're here for the second time, second episode, or this is your first episode. This is generally what you're going to expect. It's going to be a long show, and obviously we don't put it out every week, so it's not like you're, you're having to digest a lot of information. The point of this is that we don't want to rush ourselves. We don't want to put ourselves through like a chore to where we feel like we have to do this. If the conversation gets stale, we're going to stop, and I felt like it, it flowed pretty freely. So we appreciate you putting up with us for that. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because we talked about a lot of things. We shit on some other people's opinions of the game, but we also want to hear your guys' <laughs> opinions. We did put together a Discord, and the Discord link is found in the uh, the podcast description down below the show. Regardless of what uh, application you're using to listen to this, you should be able to get the link. That'll drop you into our Discord, where we have a conversational channel for every episode that we have open. Uh, so this isn't your first. Uh, you just found this one. You have a different take or something on the show that you want to discuss with us. We'll be in there, and feel free to drop a line, and we'll we'll talk about it. And hopefully, other people that are also listeners of the show will be in there, ready to discuss uh, your viewpoints. Um, we'll yep. keep it pretty heavily moderated. So, you know, if you want to come in and tell us that we're, you know, we're fucking stupid, that's totally fine. But if you come in telling other people they're fucking stupid, I'll take your criticism all day long, but don't come in just to be insulting. I'll kick you out. So, 
Um, that being said, come in and interact with us. You know, I, I know that sounded really, uh, really like dickish, but you know, just generally speaking, don't be an asshole and you won't, <laughs> you won't be treated like an asshole. Um, that's but, just good advice in general. Yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> we are mean. Come interact with us. It's the same concept <laughs> of Resident Evil sucks. Go play Resident Evil. Um, no, come in, hang out with us. Give us, give us your opinions on the game. Cause ultimately this is just two friends talking about games that we love. And if you had something that, you know, not only your take on the game, but if there's something like we missed that would be like really cool to discuss, you know, maybe if we get enough of those things, we can do like a, a massive corrections episode, just talking about stuff from games that we just overlooked from like previous episodes and stuff. Um, it would just be something cool to, to get that, that level of interaction. And, um, information about the, about the games that you guys probably know more about than we do you know because we're just for sure consumers wouldn't be hard i rip on ethan winners a lot but i have exactly one more brain cell than he does <laughs> one more brain cell yeah like that uh that family guy scene <laughs> like hey it's dark in here <laughs> um no but uh outside of that you know we again we do appreciate you guys listening uh, if you guys could subscribe to the show, tell your friends about the show. That's the best way to help us out. If you're interested in helping us out is telling your closest friends, uh, other gamers that, you know, posting about it on social media, things like that. Um, also giving us like a review on your podcasting app. If it allows you to do so, that goes like miles. Uh, the world is literally controlled by algorithms now, and that's a good way to get us in it and push us out there a little bit further. So we appreciate you're you're listening and everyone who has done that so far so thank you for that um that being said max uh thanks for putting up with me for another two and a half hours while we talk about uh please resident evil um i'm excited to see what's next and i think i like the idea that we're neither of us are 100 sure what the next episode is going to be no definitely not so because we're we're all playing because the, the, the kind of dichotomy that Max and I have is we have like this running list of games, most of which we've both already played, uh, some of which I'm playing or some of which I've recommended to him and he's playing. Um, mm. And we'll just kind of, yeah, at the point in time, we're both done and feel like we're ready. We'll put out another episode, you know? Um, so I, I like that we like as you're as you as a consumer are looking down and you could see the next episode at no point did we know what was next. So yeah, at, while we were recording anyway. Um, so you're, you'll be just as surprised as we are. So, uh, but anyway, Max, thank you for joining me again. Um, I, I've really enjoyed doing this show. It's, it's letting, let me get out a lot of my pent up frustrations and love for a lot of these games that I really don't think there's another avenue for discussion like this out there. No, that's, I, that's the kind I feel of very much the same. And that, well, and that's part of the reason I brought up the Discord earlier. I feel like that's a great opportunity, so for everyone, just be able to to discuss those types of things. And that's the whole point of the show. We want to give you guys the avenue for discussion after you get done with a game, and you're like, okay, I need to tell someone about this or something like that. That's what we're here for. So, um, again, we thank you for listening. We thank you for all of your support so far, and we will catch you in the next episode. Thanks again, Max. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.